Welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And, of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. All right, so, as promised, folks, this time out, we have a very special treat for you. Joining the Raw Attitude Podcast for a record sixth time, he is the host of Nitromania and also the host of the brand new AEW Rundown podcast alongside fellow friend of the show, Sal. And he is none other than Adam. So, Adam, would you care to remind the fans of the Raw Attitude podcast about Nitromania and tell them a little bit about the AEW Rundown as well? Sure. You also forgot uh, Spot of NXT. Spot of it, of course, every, yes. Every Thursday as well. Um, so AEW Rundown is the uh, the weekly show on the Rundown Wrestling Network where Sal and I talk about, uh, surprisingly, AEW. You've been on uh, an episode, the second episode after we went to the show. You'll be on whatever episode number it is in August when the show finally does come back after, yes. being, after being rescheduled this week. Um, but yeah, it's a, that's just a weekly recap show. Nitromania, as uh, I'm sure your listeners are aware, is me going through and watching uh, WCW Monday Nitro because I never watched that when it was on in uh, the late 90s. Going through that, we're approaching sold out at this point. That episode oh. is coming up. I'm in the process of writing the sold out episode. I have not actually started the pay-per-view yet, but um, I've been told that I have a lot to look forward to. That's certainly one way of looking at it. <laughs> I think I've actually, I think I might have actually mentioned this to you before, but sold out 1997, the one you're about to cover. I was so in on the NWO that that was the only WCW <laughs> pay per view I ever ordered. I do, I do recall you mentioning that at some point. And then, of course, spot of NXT is my weekly recap of NXT UK, and that's all on the Rundown Wrestling Network. Search that phrase in your podcast device, or go to RundownWrestling.com. Very comprehensive, very comprehensive. And actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the part about AEW getting postponed because, you know, people, we're doing this one live, but people always go back and listen to the old episodes. So people, if you're listening to this right now, when we're recording this in March of 2020, uh, the coronavirus right now is a big thing, and it's canceled our episode of, of AEW Dynamite in Boston on April not 15th. Now. Not canceled, just postponed by about postponed, true. four months. <laughs> Moved to a different location where there will be no fans. And technically, it's rescheduled for August 5th. And who knows? Maybe it won't even take place then. Hopefully, that won't be the case. But yes, coronavirus is in full-fledged uh, full fledged beast mode right now. Yeah, but so actually, for those of you who are concerned about uh, social distancing, you should know that Henry and I are in the same studio, but we are in our separate uh, hyperbaric chambers. Exactly. Uh, so there will be no crossing of fluids or anything like that during this program here. No, correct. One of us has to go to the bathroom outside. I vote you. Yeah, that's fine. It's pretty cold out there, though. Uh, but, but actually, on the note of coronavirus, and again, I'm saying this 
as we're recording, because right now WrestleMania is now scheduled to take place at the Performance Center in front of completely empty crowd, nobody there. Uh, so Vince McMahon, again, this could change day to day, but as we're recording right now, he's saying that it's going to be taking place uh, April 5th as scheduled, not at Raymond James Stadium. It's going to be in the Performance Center in front of nobody. So essentially what I ask you here, Adam, is this, since this is a, a podcast that deals mostly with the WWF slash WWE, number one, are you excited for the matches on the card? And number two, do you think you'll be able to overcome the mental hurdle of watching a seven-hour wrestling show with no fans? <laughs> well, uh, there there are reports coming out today that the mention of it moving to the performance center was merely done for some insurance thing where they can, so they can show that they were trying to mitigate the circumstances and then it'll just end up getting postponed to June or something. Uh -huh. But if, if it does go off on April 5th in Orlando in, in the performance center with, with no fans, uh, please excuse that background noise. Uh, it's, it's going to be very, very strange. <laughs> I, I, I would hope that they would maybe cut it down a little bit. I mean, we don't need the battle royals, the, the battles royal, really. I, well, that's I am that's against the rules. You can't have 10 people in one spot. <laughs> that's true. They're going to they're gonna be, be, during the video packages, just bussing people in and out of the building. But, uh, I mean, I am, I, I am looking forward to the matches. I'm looking forward to uh, Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar. I think that's going to be really good. Roman and Goldberg and whatever. Yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be. What about the uh, what about the Fiend and Cena? It's it's gonna be WrestleMania, and and so it's gonna be special. But this year it may be special for a different reason. Yeah, that's that's certainly one way of putting it for sure. So yeah, uh, honestly, the part about moving it to June that really makes the most sense to me as as far as you know. If you want to have, because WrestleMania, they always hype it up. They always do the fake bullshit. Oh, 80,000 fans in attendance. Maybe they'll still, maybe they'll do that anyway. But I mean, like, if you Ladies actually want to have WrestleMania. A performance center record, 15 people. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody there. Well, there, the, you could do the, uh, the hologram approach, maybe something like that's that. That's what, that's what Sal and I said. Take a big, uh, take a big green cloth and hang it behind the ring across from the hard cam and then just, uh, chroma key in. I, I suggested the, the crowd from, uh, WWE 2K20. Uh, he suggested <laughs> from, uh, Royal Rumble on the Sega Genesis, but either way. Nice. Either way. So, so one second with the, with the, with the Sega Genesis one, one second a fan would have his hands down and then the next there would just be a sign that materializes out of nowhere. I like it. But I do think, honestly, it really does make the most sense. Just, just, hey, Vince, just move it to June. Just move it to June. Hopefully the panic will be died down by then. You'll still have two months until SummerSlam comes up. Or, you know, selfishly, Adam, they could just do WrestleMania as SummerSlam here in Boston, and then, you know, we <laughs> could probably go to that. So, there you, you know, there there's go. that option. There you go. Yeah, Vince, I mean, we know you're listening because this is a very special episode for you. Uh, <laughs> more on that later. So, so, yeah, do the right thing and just do it in Boston. Yeah. As I have mentioned before on this show, when I check the listens and like what towns they come from, I have had many listens in Stamford, Connecticut, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I, so, don't, I don't think so at all. Can't be. Can't There's be. a lot of people in, what's, is it still called Titan Towers? I don't know. Uh, maybe but it should be. There's a lot of people there checking, listening, listening to this show, trying to, trying to relive the glory days, trying to recapture some of that spark, some of that magic of the Attitude Era and, and bring it back to the modern day programming. You're damn right. And some people still from the Attitude Era on television. So see, see for example, the guy who's facing uh, AJ Styles at WrestleMania or is scheduled to right now. So, yeah. By the way, that. the Steve Austin Day segment on Raw last night, hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see it. Ugh. 
but I, I will take your word for it. Be I saw best. him actually doing the thing where he was like asking the crowd to give him a hell yeah, and it was silent. I did think that was actually kind of funny. And yeah, but then Byron Saxton had to get involved, right? And, well, and like, get like, kicked in the balls. Exactly. Like I said, the best part of the whole the best part of the whole segment, in that it was really the only good part of the segment, was Steve kicking Byron square in the nutsack on that first yes. stunner. I am always in favor of that. Oh God, I laughed out loud. It was great. All right. All right. So, well, actually, that, that ties things in perfectly because we're talking about Steve Austin in the present day. And now shall we talk about Steve Austin in the past as well? Oh, sure. Perfect. You mean, oh, hell yeah. Glory days. I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't know the rest of that song. Yeah. Maybe not so much glory for this episode, but I guess that depends <laughs> on how much mileage you got out of the revelation. But uh, actually, on that note, too, let me just say before I jump in here. Uh, you specifically asked to be the guest host when this episode of Raw came up on my timeline. And I mean, literally, like, you reserved this episode, I like, did. two years ago. I so. did. Not just because I wanted to uh, to keep my record intact. I think I think by the end of it, I, 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 I will do my best. I will claw and scrape to be the, the most featured guest on this show. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah, I just remember back in the day. Uh, watching this episode, being really, being, being really excited. I mean, we've talked in the past how much of a f- fucking mark I was. How much of a mark I am now? Sure. Uh, just back in uh, 1999, sitting in my living room watching this show, being so excited. Who would, who's it going to be? I can't wait for next week. I can't wait to see who it's going to be. And then it was who it was, and just being like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Well, on that note, actually, we'll save it for a little later on, but you say you're going to reveal who you thought the higher power was and potentially should have been, and I actually have my own opinion as to who I think the higher power should have been. Mm-hmm. So we'll save that for a little bit later on, a little bit of a tease for you there. Yeah. But uh, if you're ready, we can uh, we can jump in. By the way, if, if you don't want to be spoiled, do not look at the WWE Network thumbnail for this episode <laughs> of Raw. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. Big time um, spoiler. To be fair, to be fair, and you know, we'll, as, as we'll talk about it, it's certainly not the most uh, impressive surprise ever. But we get a whole lot of mileage out of that uh, sound clip, that sound bite there. So, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go. Perfect. So it is Monday, June seventh, nineteen ninety nine, and this day marked McFoley's thirty fourth birthday. By the way. And we are live from the Fleet Center in Boston, Massachusetts, now called the TD Garden in the present day. And it is, of course, located just a short trip away from Raw Attitude Podcast headquarters. And some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same venue include 20 episodes of Raw, 14 episodes of SmackDown, and a whole shitload of pay-per-views, including King of the Ring 2000. You were there. Yes, I was. Money in the Bank, Money in the Bank 2014. I was there. Royal Rumble 2011. And perhaps most notably, WrestleMania 14. But I also have to shout out a couple of pay-per-views, or a couple of shows, I should say, that you and I attended together in this arena live in person. For example, Royal Rumble 2003, where Brock Lesnar won the Rumble. SummerSlam 2006, which featured Hulk Hogan's final WWE match, at least until the Saudis come a-calling. And Clash of Champions 2017, which literally took place on my actual birthday. So, Adam, did you have a favorite of any of those shows we attended together in Boston? You do remember that we were both at uh, Money in the Bank, too, right? Yes. (laughs) Well, that wasn't in Boston. That was in Hartford. Oh, that's right. Damn it. I did attend Money in the Bank 2014, where Seth Rollins won. Yes, I was there. I don't think you were there for that one, though. No, I don't think I was. All right. I was wrong. Um, Honestly, probably the Rumble, just because... As we've both said, the, the Rumble is the best pay-per-view of the year. And I thought that set was so cool. 
with the big the big waterfall that they were using as a screen. That was fucking amazing. Mm. And I, I was actually just talking about, well, I was just corresponding on Twitter with some people about Rumble 2003 because that was when we gave that standing ovation to uh, to nobody. Nobody at all. So, yep. I was saying how we had just sat through Triple H versus Scott Steiner and it was so god-awful <laughs> that we were like, we were starving for a good match. And then when, and when Angle and uh, Redacted put on their amazing match, we were just like, yes, standing ovation. This is fucking amazing. Yep. Good stuff. I mean, that's not to say that it wasn't a good match on its own, but but coming off of that previous match just kind of bumped it up of about 600 notches or so. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I do wonder if we hadn't sat through Triple H and Steiner if we still would have given that match a standing ovation. I feel like we probably would have. Probably, yeah. Who knows? I mean, there's only there's only so much you can do after somebody blades from the back of a belt. <laughs> yes, from getting hit with the leather side of the championship <laughs> belt, as Triple H did. So, oh my God! Well, yeah, that, do, do not don't go back and watch that match. <laughs> no. By the way, on the home video release, they dubbed in those cheers. That was not us. Oh, oh, in the Triple H Steiner match. Yes, yes, yeah, they absolutely did. We did, we did not cheer. A lot of booze. I think some boring chants, unfortunately. But I mean, honestly, Scott Steiner was just not ready to work that match. Like he was <laughs> falling over after he was doing suplexes. It was kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But anyway, actually, on the note of Kurt Angle, though, Adam, I think you might appreciate this. On this match, or on this uh, episode of Raw, the one we're covering, Kurt Angle actually worked a dark match before the show went off the air. Unfortunately, though, he lost. So would you care to guess which unstoppable superstar was able to defeat the Olympic gold medalist? Uh, before the show went on the air, I assume you meant. Um, Correct, yes. I'm going to say Al Snow. Pretty close, actually. It was Bob <laughs> Hawley. <laughs> Bob Hawley beats Kurt Angle in a dark match. Thurman, so probably... Thurman Sparky Plug? <laughs> yeah. Is that the highlight of his career? I feel like <laughs> it might be. But so getting into the actual show itself, we open with footage of last week's episode of Raw where a robe-covered higher power revealed himself to Stone Cold Steve Austin as the corporate ministry held the rattlesnake back. And we then get some clips from last night on Heat where an angry Stone Cold proceeded to give stunners to a whole shitload of people. Mm-hmm. And he was he was super pissed last week too. He he oh yeah as well he should have been. But I'll I'll say one thing about that uh, that episode of Heat from last night. Your favorite interviewer Adam Lucas from WWF.com caught, of up, <laughs> caught up to Stone Cold and asked him who the higher power was. So clearly Stone Cold would just spill the beans right then and there. I right. Was, I was just going to ask. I was literally going to ask you why he didn't. Well, uh, you can take a listen to what he has to say. Well. Well, Steve, the world wants to know, exactly who did you see underneath that robe? I go tell you a song. I don't think he's here tonight anyway. If he ain't here tonight, I'll get his ass tomorrow night on Raw. And I'll tell you something right now. If you don't quit bothering me, you little bastard, I'll put you on my list. You understand? Yeah, because it was, it was definitely that and not, we, we haven't come to a decision yet. Uh, yeah, we're exactly. going to decide that about 20 minutes before Raw goes on the air. Oh, yeah. Thanks for watching <laughs> Heat. Thanks for watching Heat to get an answer on that cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. So after the opening montage, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Uh, some is, of the noteworthy signs. Oh, you, do you have some right now? It is at this point that I notice the lion's den by the uh, by the stage. Yes. And I, and I sigh out loud. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. <laughs> but some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include, I am the higher power. WCW isn't good. Hey, whore. Austin... <laughs> Very, very basic, simple, effective. Hey, whore. Okay. Hey, whore. 
Uh, Austin rules Boston. I thought that was a nice touch. Nice. Uh, we want Beaver, and on a related note, split them open, Beaver. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one was actually clever because you could oh, it put split and Beaver in big letters, but then the word them open kind of like <laughs> in smaller. There so it looked go. like a sign that said split Beaver. But yeah, there very clever. Go. Fat guys rule. Mike Tyson's the higher power, <laughs> if only. Uh, Vince forgets Sable, I'm available. Two drunk men with arrows pointing downward. Shane, I hate you. <laughs> Pimpin' is not that hard. <laughs> and, oh, here's a, here's a good one. In a nice sign of the times for you baseball fans out there. Nomar316, I love midgets. Hey, Rock, tonight let's get Sheffy with it. <laughs> and a sign that said, your music sucks, which I have to point out the fan held up during... Big Show's entrance, so he wasn't <laughs> wrong. So, which ones? Uh, which ones did you notice? Were there any that I happened to miss there? Uh, you didn't mention any of the ones that I have on, on my list. I have five on my list. There was one that oh. said uh, "pork sixteen thirty Not sure what that meant, but it made me laugh. Uh, one that said "the mean streets of Waltham." Yeah, nice. Uh, good luck, powdered toast. Hmm. Look, Edmonton, I am on Raw. Oh, and, a long way. And Kaz likes crank. Kaz likes crank. Okay, sure. Kaz Hayashi. Uh, apparently. He likes crank. Very interesting. He is a wrestler. He probably has some sort of demons. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's a fair bet. And so we officially kick off the show with Vince McMahon heading to the ring. And it sounds like he actually gets a fair amount of booze for some reason. <laughs> Very strange. I wonder why. <laughs> Vince is clad in a black wife beater and black jeans, so clearly not his usual business attire. And what does he have to say? Well, let's take a listen. There seems to be a, a great deal of interest in just who is this greater power. I admit my personal interest has been tweaked as well. I remember about three months ago when The Undertaker first made reference to the greater power. And ever since then, the greater power has been weaving his wicked web of evil. And if it's true what they say, if it's true what they say, that this greater power is even more demonic than the Undertaker, then quite frankly, I'd like to meet him. Wow. Although, although I think I already have. You see, speculation abounds as to just who this greater power really is. Some say, some say the greater power is the commissioner himself, Shawn Michaels. Some say the greater power is one of the McMahon family members. Some say the greater power is Jake the Snake Roberts. I've heard that. Some say the greater power is even the bartender at the end of the block. I heard that. It really doesn't matter who the greater power is, because tonight I intend to go no holes barred with the greater power here in Boston. Wow! Man, that's, that's quite a statement here in the early going. 
You see, I believe the greater power is, in fact, a McMahon family member. Bingo! And that's why, and that's why, Shane, I know you can hear my voice. Not only, Shane, am I challenging you to a no-holes-barred match here in Boston tonight. What? But just to sweeten the pot a bit, Shane, I'll put up my controlling 50% interest of the WWF if you put up your 50% of the WWF. Whoa! In other words, in other words, it's not just no holes barred tonight here in Boston. It's winner take all. That's a father, father challenging his son. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. that Shane McMahon is the greater power. I appreciate the compliment, but I assure you that I am not he. However, Vince, in just a few moments, I will personally have The Undertaker bring out the greater power and that very ring and reveal the greater power to the entire world. So, Vince, by the time you get out of that ring, go to the back and have yourself... Get another bowl of Wheaties, because you're going to need it. The Undertaker, in just a few moments, will reveal the entire corporate ministry, will reveal the greater power to all of you. It doesn't sound like we're going to have to wait very long. Now, this is something I had completely forgotten about this episode. So Vince McMahon literally comes out from backstage and rattles off some of the names of the people who were rumored to be the greater power, including Commissioner Shawn Michaels, one of the McMahon family members, or even Jake the Snake Roberts, which gets a pretty good pop. Please. But no. Nobody was saying it was Jake the Snake. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> also, is it greater power or higher power? It's kind of interchangeable, it's, yeah. It switches back and forth. Most people seem to be saying greater power, but Undertaker is definitely saying higher power, so... Yeah. So be it. But uh, but no, so Vince apparently thinks that the greater power is actually his son, Shane, and so he challenges Shane to a match tonight. Vince's 50% of the company versus Shane's 50% winner-take-all in a no-holds-barred match. And as you heard there, Shane does indeed show up to accept, but he denies being the greater power. Apparently, we're all going to meet the real 
greater slash higher power sometime tonight. In about t- 10 minutes or so. Yeah. <laughs> but so at, at this point, let's take the time to address some of those rumors. So back in 1999, I was firmly in favor of Jake Roberts being the higher power because it would have kind of made sense. You know, he indirectly started the Austin 316 movement because Stone Cold cut that promo on him at King of the Ring 96. Plus, the old Jake was obviously very willing to go to some dark places, as, we, as we're seeing now in AEW as well, fittingly. Um, so I think that could have made sense. But now, of course, at the time, I also didn't realize that Jake was fucking hooked on crack. So clearly, probably wasn't going to happen at this point in time. But he was he was a name that was definitely out there. I can actually get into some other names, too. Some of the other ones I've seen thrown around. And I actually, by the way, I went to the message boards at this point in time because, you know, you got to do it. So I'll, I'll share that in just a moment. But I will say the big name, the one name actually that was kind of confirmed as being bandied about by the writers as the person they wanted to be the, high, the higher power. And this is confirmed by a friend of the show, Bruce Pritchard. He said the original plan for the higher power was going to be Christopher Daniels, who had actually signed a developmental deal with the WWF back in 98. However, Vince McMahon apparently nixed the idea because Daniels was too small. And really, I feel like you can't really like go with an unknown guy for that revelation anyway, because the fans will just be like, who the fuck is this dude? But I will say, amusingly, though, as I'm typing this, as we're talking, well, and as I'm typing this, as I typed this, I should say, 21 years later here in the present day, AEW has actually been having some fun with this idea because the Dark Order has been referencing the arrival of the Exalted One for mm-hmm. months, this, and they heavily hinted for weeks that it could be Christopher Daniels, this, who this is still active in wrestling. That's right. In front of, in front of nobody. But that's, Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We have a chance here. We have a chance now to relive the higher power 21 mm-hmm. years later, and they're going to reveal it tomorrow night. So, Adam, this episode is going to go out well past when the Exalted One is revealed. So who do you think will be the Exalted One? Well, of course, at, uh, at Revolution, uh, on, the, on the buy-in, which is what AEW calls their kickoff show, uh, they did uh, reference the gimmick where at the end of a match between the Dark Order and SCU, Christopher Daniels came out wearing a giant hooded cloak. Yep. And uh, revealed himself before beating the hell out of the Dark Order. I should probably rephrase that. Uh, revealed himself as the person under the cloak. Didn't you know? show off his cash and prizes. As for this week on Dynamite, uh, I mean, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of rumors going around as to who it could be. But I think when it all comes down to it, I think they're going to really kind of uh, stick with the inspiration. And it's going to be Tony Khan. Oh, clearly. Yes, yes. Are you, are you being serious about that? No, or? not most. I was going to say, because you never know. <laughs> I know Matt Matt Hardy is definitely like one of the names that's out there right the now. The popular I'm, rumor I'm... is either Matt Hardy or uh, or Brody Lee, formerly yeah. Luke Harper. Um, I feel like they've been leaning too hard on Matt Hardy in, in the teasers and stuff that it's not going to be him. Yeah, I think Brody Lee makes a lot of sense because he kind of has – it's the same sort of thing as – um, as Jake Roberts, where it's a character that's been to some dark places before being a member of the Wyatt family, even though, yes, I know separate company, right. but he has that sort of like legitimacy of like, this guy's a weirdo and kind of like, you know, from a dark Southern cult in the other company. So it's, it kind of makes sense. So I hope it's Brody Lee. If it's Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy's kind of like more of a comedy type character, I would say. I know. At this point, so I don't know. I know Sal but, does not want it to be Matt Hardy in the least. Mm-hmm. So... But, hey, what about Jake Roberts? He's still there. He's in, he's in AEW. Hail Caesar. He's got his own thing going with uh, Lance Archer there, but hey, you, you never know. Lance Archer could join the Dark Order. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Never turn your back on someone you fear or respect. <laughs> yes. That's a pretty good line, actually. That's a great line. 
But yes, yeah, so that's where we are in the present day. So as of as of the time this episode comes out in early April, you'll be able to see that we're all completely wrong. <laughs> but, uh, Unless it is actually Tony Khan. And then I told you, motherfuckers, I told you. I mean, you know, he, he can do whatever the hell he wants <laughs> on that show, pretty much. But uh, one more little fun side note regarding Christopher Daniels. So one year later after this show, in June of 2000, Vince Russo takes over the book for WCW, and they actually bring in Christopher Daniels for a backstage segment where, stop me if this sounds familiar, he's wearing a robe to hide his face as he bosses around Vampiro. And in fact, in a 2016 interview with 411 Mania, Daniels actually confirmed that the initial plan was for this character to be called Syndrome, and he would have actually acted as Vampiro's master in WCW. It's over. The icon known as Sting is no more. It's done. No. Last night was just the first chapter. Tonight, it continues. There are still more souls to be punished and purified. No, listen, wait! Listen! We had a deal, okay? This is done! This is over! I'll tell you when it's over. But, shockingly... That ends up being a one-off segment, and Daniels is never revealed as the higher power in Aww. WCW either. I know, go figure. But funny enough, though, speaking of WWE Network thumbnails, if you go to the June twelfth, two 2000 episode of Nitro on the WWE Network, the thumbnail they used for that show is that very backstage segment <laughs> with Christopher Daniels and Vampiro, which really makes me wonder, by the way, like, how shitty must the rest of that episode be if that's the thumbnail they use? I was just going to say, who is picking the thumbnails at the WWE Network? <laughs> yeah. Well, the one for this episode, I guess, makes sense. It's a huge spoiler, but yeah. I mean, it is the whole, it's the whole crux of the show. Because that's what I've noticed. It's either, it's either something completely, like, inconsequential, or it's a massive spoiler. Like when, like when Scott Hall shows up on Nitro. Or say, right. when Kevin Nash shows up on Nitro. <laughs> Or actually, I, I pointed that out when you and I did the Starcade '96 episode of Nitromania, where Star and we did the uh, the following night's episode of Nitro. If you go to the episode of Nitro after Starcade '96, one of the biggest shows they ever did, you know, where Roddy Piper comes back, beats Hulk Hogan. The thumbnail that they had for that episode of Nitro the night after was the amazing French Canadian singing. Yep. So. Makes makes a lot of sense. Roddy Piper, who cares? We got Jacques Rougeau and PCO singing. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but yes, but obviously, aside from Christopher Daniels, Adam, Christopher Daniels, of course, was supposed to be the higher power, and it was nixed by Vince McMahon, but I went back and I read some of the message boards from 1999, which are still active, so I could actually see what people were writing at the time, kind of give you a feel for like what the fans were thinking. So another name that was frequently mentioned as the higher power, you might like this one, the ultimate warrior, who we last saw in WCW in November, yes, kind of had a bit of a disastrous run there but honestly I, I can't really see vince going down that road again <laughs> another name being mentioned one that makes a little bit less sense chris jericho since it was widely reported he was leaving wcw but i don't know that i could see him as the leader of kind of like a a dark faction also since i had just mentioned friend of the show bruce pritchard a little while ago on that same note another another name that kept coming up on message boards was brother love since he was the undertaker's original manager and obviously people knew bruce pritchard was employed with the wwf but admittedly bit of a stretch another popular name that's been thrown around the jackal which i think actually could have been a really good choice in my opinion because remember he was the original manager of the acolytes before they joined the ministry he had that sort of like dark yeah, the, cult figure going the truth commission the truth commission well yeah, nobody's perfect <laughs> <laughs> 
but he was like he's very charismatic he had like the cult figure gimmick going so i could have seen that working but obviously not to be another popular name was ted dibiase since he kind of brought the undertaker into the wwf back in 1990 but he was still under wcw contract another guy under wcw contract who people thought might come in was kevin sullivan who you obviously know well from nitromania i mean come on he led the dungeon of doom that was a vaguely supernatural group <laughs> kevin sullivan come on if i if i may <clears throat> please rack him luga <laughs> rack him luga Oh, that's right. We were in Boston, too, for this night. It would have been perfect. <laughs> it would have been a very short trip for Kevin Sullivan. I am the higher power. <laughs> oh I God. control the Undertaker. Okay, this this should have <laughs> oh happened my. now. Now you've convinced me. I just hurt myself. <laughs> it was worth it, though, because that, that was a solid Kevin Sullivan impression. <laughs> there were also a couple ECW guys' names were also in the mix, probably because they were, you know, I'm assuming not getting paid at the time. <laughs> uh Terry Funk and Shane Douglas were both rumored as well, but I couldn't really see either of those two making sense. Dane Douglas controls The Undertaker? Yeah. More, more on him a little bit later, <laughs> by the way. And finally, one of the hotter free agents at the time who actually shows up in WCW the weekend after this. How about Psycho Sid being the higher power? Which probably, <laughs> just, just for the promo alone, that would have been worth it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so what do you think, Adam? Would any of those names I mentioned, would you have wanted any of those guys to potentially be the higher power? Uh, well, one of the uh, one of the names that you listed is the one that was uh, that was who I thought it was. So. Oh, perfect. Cliffhanger. Well, you don't have to reveal it then. Okay. We'll hold it off. All right. We'll hold it off. But again, I, I'm totally, in terms of those names, I'm probably alone in this, but I will plant my flag as being in favor of the Jackal being the higher power. I know it's he's not a huge name, but he has been in the company and he, he's charismatic enough, I should say, to be able to pull it off. So, sure. so what you're saying is me. that you wanted The Undertaker to engage in a little bit of oral intercourse. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Or intellectual intercourse. Sometimes he busted <laughs> that one out. But, yes. Scandalous. So, and have, he could, uh, Undertaker could start wearing the little bindi bead like uh, the Jackal did, too. Not, <laughs> probably through, wouldn't work for The Undertaker. Through, maybe, maybe Jackal could pull it off. Through my third eye. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that's Midian. That's Midian. Because he actually carries Carry the eye, eye with it. Yeah. In the jar. Yeah. Indeed. But anyway, so basically, after Vince's promo, we go to the commentary table where Jim Ross rattles off some of tonight's matches, including, as you mentioned, Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett versus Ken Shamrock in a Lion's Den match. And we then quickly cut backstage where we see Stone Cold Steve Austin talking to someone while standing outside of a limousine. But we can't tell who's inside the limo. Yeah. Will that come into play later on tonight and in the coming weeks? I suppose we shall see. Mm -hmm. One 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 note about the commentary, um, and this is a mystery for everybody listening at home. You can go back and watch this on the note on the network. I have a note here that says that girl really loves Travis. So I don't know if we got a crowd shot of a girl just screaming, "I love you, Travis," or what. But I, I felt apparently it was enough that I felt the need to make mention of it in my notes. There you go. Keep an eye out for that. And I, I do appreciate that they gave Vince a whole ad break change. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> yes, yes, or at least put something on. But yes, after a commercial break, it appears we may not have to wait at all because, yes, the corporate ministry does indeed walk to the ring, presumably for the revelation of who the greater power will be. However, there is one person missing from the group, and that person is Shane McMahon, which seems, seems a little bit curious. Now, remember, Shane stated he was not the greater power earlier tonight, and yet he's nowhere to be found. Interesting. Interesting. 
And so the Undertaker grabs a mic, and he does indeed ask for the greater power to come out from backstage. And just like last week, a mysterious figure in a velvet robe slowly walks to the ring with his face completely obscured by the hood of the robe. And we also get the creepy druid chanting music as well, so always, always a nice touch in my opinion. And the entire corporate ministry, except for The Undertaker, then kneels down in the ring, paying tribute to whomever this may be. Mm-hmm. And so, the greater power is given a microphone, and he's about to reveal himself, but then we hear a rather familiar voice. I think the greater power is about to address us all. You see, I told you that Shane McMahon was not the greater power, but you didn't want to believe me. What? Well, now, maybe you do. What? They're Shane. Wait a minute. What the hell's this? That's Shane. You see, the greater power is omniscient. The greater power is a calculated... are off now. I thought it was Shane, but it can be Shane McMahon. The greater power is cold and calculated and a mastermind at screwing with people's minds. Surely it's not Jake the Snake. The greater power is also a master planner. The greater power is methodical in his methods. And a master in human psychology. The greater power knows what makes all of us tick, each and every one of us. He knows our fears. He knows our strengths and our weaknesses and exploits those fears, strengths, and weaknesses for the betterment of his corporate ministry and his own personal amusement. So who is this greater power? Yeah, who is it? Let's reveal the greater power to the entire world. Yes! But just wait one second. I need one witness. And Vince, I know you're back there, and I know you can hear me. Vince, I want you to come down here, and I will bestow the honor upon you. I will give you that honor to reveal the greater power to the entire world. Because, Vince, I can't wait to see your face. How about it, Vince? What do you say? What do you say, Vince? Shane, I say I'm close enough right where I stand, right here and now. I say the games are over, Shane. I say the evil, demonic SOB show his face to the world now. Who could it be? It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! Damn, I cannot believe he's... Every damn one of 
Stone Cold Steve Austin made me fool you. He made me. Because, Austin, I had to teach you a lesson that you would never, ever forget. And now, Austin, Austin, now you know there is no price I will not pay. There is no depth that I will not stoop to make your life here on Earth, Austin, a total, complete living hell. So, yes, as you heard there, with the greater power standing in the ring holding a microphone, we initially hear the voice of Shane McMahon, but as it turns out, Shane then just emerges from backstage, so clearly, true to his word, he is not actually the greater power. Shane then asks his father, Vince McMahon, to come down to the ring and witness the unveiling of the greater power, but we then see Vince on the Titan Tron, and he refuses. So with that in mind, the greater power then removes his hood, and we see that it was actually <gasps> Vince McMahon the entire time. <laughs> so what you're saying, it was the, it was him? It was him all along? Exactly. I was actually just going to say that <laughs> because it gives us two iconic lines. Vince yelling, it's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And then, of course, Jim Ross's disappointed utterance of, oh, son, oh, of, a son of a bitch. <laughs> it's fantastic. And I think Jim Ross speaks for all of us at that point, quite frankly. I will I will give them credit watching this back for, for this episode because at the time, you know, when it aired live, not being able to with you know not being able to watch it with hindsight, being so kind of disappointed in that moment, but watching it back now with with Vince appearing on the big screen, which is I'd completely forgotten about, and actually nodding his head along with Shane's speech. Uh, oh, I didn't I, even notice that he was kind of just yeah okay uh huh. So I I I, it, it, I actually kind of appreciate the that kind of extra little length that they went to in order to try and keep that swerve going that it uh, that it ends up being Vince under the hood not a, again may not have been that satisfying as an outcome having it be Vince McMahon as the higher power but it definitely got a good reaction from the crowd uh the mm -hmm. crowd was was definitely did what it needed to do in terms of getting the crowd to make noise so again not uh, not the greatest outcome but certainly a, a, an effective segment or an effective yeah. reveal i should say the segment's not over yet unfortunately yes oh yes oh i'll get into that so, well, actually, I'll, I'll just piggyback on that because Vince basically explains, you know, so, so what was the reason for Vince being the higher power? Well, essentially what Vince says is that his reason for all this deception was so that he could make Stone Cold Steve Austin's life a living hell. And uh, believe me, I'll dive into that logic in just a bit. But for now, Adam, if you could, could you take me back to, you know, June of 99 when you originally watched this? Were you as disappointed as, as I was watching this in June of 99? Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, Jim Ross's line really kind of summed up uh, the the emotions of the then unnamed WWF universe. Oh, son of a bitch! Uh, I think is just is really just kind of sums it up because uh, again, you you know everybody at home had who they thought it was going to be, and I I highly doubt that anybody watching at home went, oh, it's Vince, it's obviously Vince. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think, like I said, it was it was it was put together well, it was produced well, they did a really good job on the reveal itself. But I don't think there was any way for it with with the with the person that they selected uh, with it being Vince. I don't think there was any way for that to for them to do that without without disappointing the audience. Really, yeah, yeah. It's it's 
in my opinion, does not make a ton of sense, especially because also it would be one thing if, you know, they they did this Vince face turn basically just after WrestleMania. And it would be one thing if Vince, you know, wasn't getting over as a babyface, but he was right. actually the fans. Surprisingly, right. they were cheering Vince. So it's kind of like, okay, so, you know, it's it was just a bit a brief, like two month thing. And then we're just back to where we were before. And, and obviously, you know, being in you know an Austin versus McMahon feud is is not the worst place to be, right. but it's just kind of it just kind of strikes me as like wow you guys really didn't uh, didn't have something lined up there as to who the actual higher right. power would be did and, you? Uh, so. and yeah I was gonna, you 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 mentioned that you were going to get into it so you, you've been you know having watched all these episodes going going back and taking these extensive notes how how does this possibly make sense that oh, it would be Vince McMahon I'm, doing all this to his to his family. <laughs> Like trying to destroy his own family. I'm actually going to get into okay. that, and you can and and you can actually judge for yourself based on all the things. I have a list. I have a list. But but actually, we're not done with the segment yet because so basically, after Vince reveals himself to be the greater power, here's here's I'm sure what your favorite part was, Adam. His wife Linda <laughs> and his daughter Stephanie then show up at the top of the ramp, and yes, sadly, both of them are given mic time. As I, I won't subject you to that, but thank, as I wrote know, in my notes, oh Christ, good girl Stephanie and Linda Bot. Yeah, yeah. And well, Windabot actually has some pretty severe repercussions to dish out to Vince because, for starters, when Vince tells her that all of his actions were not personal, they were just business, Linda says they should talk business right now. <laughs> this is so much better than listening to the, listening to the sound clip. Here. Yeah, your reenactment. Well, the segment goes on for so long. I was going to play their part too, but then I was like, "Man, this takes up this takes up a huge portion of the show." Yeah. So I I, but, I enjoy I'll, I enjoy your dramatic reenactment, anyways, much better. Yes, but actually, well, Linda, Linda Bott does say some important things because she says Vince and Shane have been lying over the past few weeks because they do not each own 50% of the company as they've been claiming because, of course, there are four McMahons and each of them owns 25%. This, and that's particularly relevant. This doesn't make any sense to me. Why, yeah, why oh, would you do that? Yeah, just you wait. Oh, just you wait. But that, that 25% part is particularly relevant because this morning, Linda McMahon called an emergency meeting of the board of directors, and she, in fact, stepped down from her position as CEO of the WWF, but not before she appointed a replacement. And in retrospect, I got a real kick out of these next few lines because Linda McMahon, the woman who was appointed to be the head of the Small Business Administration, then says that cut-off jeans will be the new dress code, profanity will be welcomed, and drinking on the job will be encouraged. So Linda McMahon, former head of the Small Business Administration, is now intentionally running her large business right into the ground. <laughs> so Why, who could she be referring to? Well, what she was getting that there, as you might expect, is that the new Linda McMahon in storyline is appointing the new CEO of the World Wrestling Federation to be stone cold steve austin so we can now clearly assume that it was linda and stephanie who were inside of that limo earlier tonight and yes stone cold then emerges from backstage to of course a massive pop from the boston crowd and he is hilariously wearing a red business tie over an austin 316 <laughs> baseball jersey so let's go ahead and take a listen to how the new ceo is planning on conducting business tonight Well, I think you heard what happened at the meeting today, so let's go ahead and start with that dress code thing. I can go ahead and take off this power tie because I no longer need this power tie because, bitch, you always know that old Stone Cold always has 
the power finger. So here's to you. For all this paperwork and the clipboards, that's not usually my style, but hell, when you take a some bitch like me and you put him in a corporate setting, it takes a while to get the adjustments down just right. But as you always say, Vince, nonetheless, in any event, these corporate problems and solutions notwithstanding, you can bet your ass that Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to do everything in his power to make this transition as soon as possible. starting to get used to this corporate crap already. Now let's get down to business. What we decided at this meeting today, Vince, is at a later time, place, and conditions to be determined by me, the CEO, I will have a title match and I will take back my WWF title. Number two, and look at me when I speak to you, you little bastard. You ain't got but 25% chump change. <laughs> you look at me, delegate this note out, come down and beat your damn brains in. For the immediate future, Vince, my focus is on you and your little boy Wonder there right beside you. At our next pay-per-view event, which is King of the Ring, and nobody knows more than Stone Cold Steve Austin how important that damn event is. Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to be in a handicap match. And it will be me in one corner, and Vince, it'll be you and that little bastard son of yours in the other corner. Wow! Stone Cold versus both the big mans at the and King of the finally, Ring. finally, finally, for the record, I get to beat both your asses at one time, and that's all I got to say about that. Let me tell you something. You're on, pal. The two of us, two McMahons, can take an Austin any day of the week. Right. Now, I may have to have a few stipulations here and there, but, Pally, you're on. Nonetheless, those stipulations notwithstanding, I really don't give a rat's ass what you think, Vince. Now... Moving on to our next little deal. Shane, you come out here throwing your weight around, but like I said, you got your little chump change, 25%. I'm going to let a son bitch really show you how to delegate authority since I got my 50% right here in my back pocket. Little game you played last week with X-Pac and Kane, screwing them out of the titles. You think you still got a big shot, your little suit over there? I think you look like a piece of crap. Believe this. want to play games. Here's what I got for you. Tonight, Shane, tonight, Shane, you will be in a handicap match, and it will be you, your little yellow ass, in one corner, and in that other corner, you will have X-Pac and Kane. Oh, Lord. The boy wonder's going down tonight. Tonight. Hey, but I'm a good sport, so I will say good luck, you little bastard. All right. As far as the rest of the card goes for the evening's festivities, hell, Vince, I know that you screwed me around, but in the process, you walked on a couple other people. So what I'm going to do with the rest of the members of the union, 
The three remaining members, as my notes tell me here, that would be Shamrock, Test, and Show. They get a free pass tonight. Tonight, on Raw, they can have a match with anybody in this damn building that they see fit with, and that's what I got to say to them. Anybody? Big opportunity for the union tonight. As far as uh, Mick Foley goes, and he's not here with us tonight, and on a personal note, I'd like to say, get well, Mick Foley, you crazy bastard. Please. Triple H. You're in your little sidekick China there. You like to cripple people. Hit somebody in the knee with a sledgehammer, that's all fine and well. Because as vicious as that was, I kind of liked it the most. Tonight, you're going to see what it feels like to be on the other end of the stick here, son. Because what you're going to do, and I think this is probably a first, is have a cast match. Now, what does that mean, Stone Cold? It means this. Since The Rock's arm is in a cast, I figure what you do, and you got two good legs there, as we're going to put your damn leg in a full cast all the way up to your little hip, and you get to wrestle The Rock in a leg cast tonight on Raw. That's a first. I've never heard of that. How can he do that? And I don't care how you go about it. If you just go limping around like this and let The Rock beat the hell out of you, maybe that's, maybe that's what's going to happen. That's pretty much the festivities for this night. Now, if anybody in that ring has a problem with the rules that old Stone Cold is laying down right now, you can find my dressing room back there. Get your ass in line. Knock on a door, and if I ain't busy drinking too much beer, I'll open the sandwich up and talk to you. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. So as you heard there, the new WWF CEO, Steve Austin, makes himself a few matches. For starters, he books himself into a handicap match with Vince and Shane at King of the Ring, but he also makes a few matches for tonight on Raw as well. And in fact, Shane McMahon actually gets to compete in his own handicap match tonight, and he'll face the team he screwed out of the tag team titles last week, X-Pac and Kane. In addition to that, Stone Cold says that the three remaining members of the union, Big Show, Ken Shamrock, and Test, can choose anyone they want to face tonight, so hopefully they choose wisely. And finally, since The Rock is still wearing a cast on his arm from when Triple H threw him off the stage a few weeks ago, tonight we will have the first ever cast match with Hunter being forced to compete against The Rock while wearing a full leg cast. <laughs> so certainly, very interesting slate of matches there. So stupid. And after a quick commercial break, we go backstage where Linda and Stephanie present Stone Cold with a special gift, a new corporate briefcase filled with cans of beer. So the, the three of them then toast to each other, and that is how we conclude things there. So, Adam, what did you think of the new Stone Cold CEO? Uh, I remember being pumped about this. I thought this was going to be fucking great. Doesn't end so greatly, but you'll get to that down the line. Linda McMahon seems like a person who's never uttered uh, profanity in her life. So so when you hear Linda McMahon swear, it's like hearing your teacher swear or like a nun. So that was that that was a thing that happened. Yeah, I mean obviously you can only do so much with a Linda McMahon promo because it's uh Linda McMahon. But um Yeah. Definitely a good uh, a good surprise to counteract the not so good surprise that was Vince McMahon as the greater power. 
Yeah. Actually, well, on that note, that's that's a pretty good segue because are you okay with Vince? You know, they, they do this reveal. They've been, you know, teasing the higher power for a little while. But then as soon as Vince is revealed, he basically immediately gets his comeuppance. Right. So are you are you okay with that or would you rather have they, they like drag that out a little bit? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what you really could have done to, to, to drag it out because they've already been doing this corporate ministry thing for however long it's been. So, I mean, I don't, I, I feel like it, uh, for what it was for as unimpressive a reveal as Vince was as the higher power, I think it was something that had to be counteracted right away. And that's why, mm -hmm. that's why you get, uh, oh, hell yeah, as your, as your <laughs> yeah. CEO. Yeah, I will say I think the the obviously the highlight of this is uh, unfortunately it's not this week's show, but it's next week's show where Stone Cold actually goes to WWF headquarters. Do you, I don't know if you remember those vignettes, but uh, I've gone ahead and started watching the next episode, and a lot of them are actually pretty quality. So, <laughs> did you remember those when he goes to the boardroom? Vaguely, I might have to I might have to give it a rewatch. Yeah, I I would recommend that you do because some of it's actually pretty funny. But we'll touch on that in the next episode. But so before we move on, Adam, I do want to touch on something here, as as I alluded to earlier. So Vince McMahon's reason for becoming the greater power, he said it was so he could make Stone Cold's life a living hell. So will you indulge me just a moment here as I list off all the things Vince McMahon was responsible for doing, which allegedly led to him making Steve Austin's life a living hell? Oh, please be my guest, even though I'm okay. your guest. So. Here's a list of all the things that Vince was presumably responsible for as the greater power. And just let me know if any of these make sense. So <laughs> we, can just, we can just go down the list. By the way, I should note the last time you were here was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre episode, which was the first time the greater power was mentioned. So we kind of closed that loop there. That's very good. Very good. But okay, so the next night on Raw, after St. Valentine's Day Massacre, The Undertaker first makes mention of wanting to take over the WWF, and to do that, he kidnaps Shane McMahon and presents him with an envelope, which we later learn is pictures of Stephanie McMahon in her bedroom, in her underwear. So think of that shit. Vince and Shane, who were working together with The Undertaker the entire time, facilitated a scenario whereby the ministry could take dirty pictures of Vince's daughter. And I assume Vince still has the negatives 21 years later. So I'm going to go ahead and say that doesn't make Austin's life a living hell, but that's, that's just me. <laughs> so one week later on the February 22nd Raw, Vince forces The Undertaker to face Kane in an Inferno match, which Taker, of course, wins. And then after the match, he takes Stephanie's teddy bear and lights it on fire, with Vince crying over it as we go off the air. So once again, Vince McMahon is responsible for fucking with his own daughter, because that will really teach Steve Austin a lesson. On the next Raw, on March 1st, Undertaker loses to Mankind via countout, and then with Vince at ringside, Taker punches Vince right in the face, <laughs> then throws him on top of the announce table, and he's about to chokeslam Vince through the table, but Big Boss Man hits Taker in the knee with a nightstick to make the save. So I guess we can assume Boss Man was never let in on the plan, because he's just willing to, I don't know, forget it. On the March 8th episode of Raw, Undertaker sacrifices Bossman on his symbol, but then Vince, ha Vince has a bunch of police officers arrest the Undertaker. So apparently, Taker was willing to spend a night in jail just for this higher power plan, so well done on that. On the March 15th episode of Raw, the Ministry of Darkness is shown waiting for Stephanie McMahon at Vince's house in Greenwich, Connecticut, and retroactively in a segment that makes zero sense. The Undertaker makes a phone call to Vince and Shane, taunting them about how he's going to be alone with Stephanie. But if Vince and Shane were in on it, why would Taker need to... Ne yep, never mind. 
And then later on in the night, of course, he burns the symbol on Vince's lawn, which I guess we could say that that could have been a clue in the first place since somebody was able to get to Vince's lawn and burn a symbol. But to put the capper on it all, Vince then asks for Kane's help in the arena, and it turns out it was actually the Undertaker inside of Kane's costume the entire time. So Taker really fooled Vince there, except that he didn't because they were in on it the whole time. <laughs> And at WrestleMania 15, The Undertaker defeats the big boss man inside Hell in a Cell and then hangs him from the fucking ceiling. Yes. So, (laughs) exactly. Because, so basically, if if we're thinking of that, so Vince, was Vince aware that The Undertaker was going to do that in advance? Because if so, that means that the boss man is now part of a stable with two guys who conspired to murder him (laughs) just two and a half months ago. Hashtag wrestling logic. That's what you get for going back to WCW, you son of a bitch. That's right. He had it coming. (laughs) And then on Raw the night after WrestleMania, the Ministry of Darkness does indeed succeed at kidnapping Stephanie, but Ken Shamrock manages to find her in the basement and get her back. And also, presumably, Vince had Stephanie come to the arena for the sole purpose of the Ministry kidnapping her, which is some pretty dark shit. So once again, Stephanie is tormented because that'll really show Steve Austin. (laughs) And on the April 4th episode of Heat, we get that sit-down interview with Vince and Stephanie where Vince essentially says that Mark Calloway is now believing that he is the character of The Undertaker. So what are we supposed to think of that little tidbit now that Vince McMahon is wearing a robe and masterminding The Undertaker's (laughs) faction? Vince is basically saying he believes in the character, but, uh, well, I I guess I do too. (laughs) (sighs) So... On the April 12th episode of Raw, Shane McMahon takes control of the corporation from Vince, and he even slaps his father in the face. So essentially, Vince and Shane are now pretending to hate each other for no reason because higher power. On the April 19th episode of Raw, The Undertaker sends Midian to WWF Studios, where Vince and Stephanie are doing another interview, and Vince then proceeds to beat Midian's ass, steal his car, and attempt to smash into Midian with it. So again, I have to ask... Was Midian made aware of this plan in advance and he (laughs) let Vince beat his ass in order to fool Stephanie or did Taker just send him over there with no knowledge whatsoever? I just, I feel like I'm getting a stroke right now. This is insane. (laughs) And then at Backlash, this is where, as if it wasn't falling apart already, this is, I think, where it really falls apart somehow even more than before. So at Backlash, Shane McMahon is the special guest referee for the Stone Cold Rock WWF title match. At the end of that match, Vince grabs Austin's smoking skull belt and smacks Shane in the face with it, and Vince then sends Earl Hebner to the ring to replace Shane, at which point Hebner counts the pinfall for Austin, meaning that Vince McMahon helped Stone Cold retain the WWF title. So you're telling me <laughs> yeah, that'll that show was him. a part of the plan? Yeah. I guess you could say that Vince wanted to gain Austin's trust, but the only problem there is that he never actually does throughout the course of this plan, so nice job providing Stone Cold with a lengthier title run for no fucking reason. <laughs> And then, of course, later in that night, we get the infamous where to Stephanie moment where Undertaker kidnaps Stephanie again. Classic. Oh, yeah, I'll I'll say. And then, of course, the following night on Raw, we get the Black Wedding where Undertaker tries to marry Stephanie, but Stone Cold comes to her rescue. And at the end of the segment, Vince hugs Stephanie and appears to thank Austin for saving her. But remember, the commentators kept playing this up as though Stone Cold saved her because it was the right thing to do, not because Austin was trusting Vince. So again, kind of a fail there. And then a few days later, we had the SmackDown pilot where The Undertaker and Shane merged the two factions together to create the corporate ministry. And after the main event, The Undertaker fucking annihilates Vince McMahon (laughs) with an unprotected chair shot to the skull, so clearly all a part of this genius plan. I will say, though, 
This is maybe the one time in the whole scheme where Austin shows any sort of affection for Vince because he does actually pour beer on Vince to wake him up afterwards. So that's, I guess, somewhat affectionate, maybe? I don't know. And on the May 3rd episode of Raw, we get Linda McMahon's first ever on-camera appearance alongside Vince, but her involvement is basically limited to Shane telling her to shut up. And Shane then admits that he was the one who masterminded Stephanie being kidnapped, which causes an angry Vince to run into the ring where the corporate ministry beats Vince's ass. And later on, they kick Vince's ass again backstage because, you know, being beaten up on a wrestling show apparently means nothing. And perhaps even more curiously, later on in the show, Vince and Shane actually have a match, which Vince wins. Okay, then. On the May 10th episode of Raw, we get a six-man tag team match, Austin, Rock, and Vince versus The Undertaker, Triple H, and Shane. And, of course, the match begins with The Undertaker tombstoning Vince because wrestling moves don't matter. But eventually, Vince goes for the pinfall on Shane. But at this point, Stone Cold pulls Vince off of Shane so he can pin Shane himself. So once again, it's pretty clear Austin does not trust Vince. On the May 17th episode of Raw, it gets even dumber when The Undertaker and Triple H beat up Vince so badly that he has to go to the hospital because, again, Vince McMahon is willingly allowing himself to be victimized for reasons. On the May 23rd episode of Heat, the one before Over the Edge, Vince and Shane have a face-to-face promo where Shane books Vince versus Midian, and later on in that show, Midian smashes a chair into Vince's ankle twice, resulting in Vince once again having to go to the hospital. I repeat, Vince McMahon apparently allowed all of this to happen, just to fool Stone Cold, and man, he sure got him good. And then, of course, later on that same night at Over the Edge, Vince limped out to the ring where Shane shoved him into Stone Cold, and then Shane fast-counted Austin, allowing The Undertaker to win the WWF title. So I guess that part kind of makes sense. (laughs) Hey, one out of 106 ain't bad. (laughs) Yeah. And then finally, but oh, don't don't worry, they undo it the last week. So, (laughs) And finally, last week on the May 31st episode of Raw, It continued to get dumber because Vince booked himself into a match against The Undertaker, which Vince won via disqualification because Taker wouldn't stop beating Vince's ass. (laughs) Again, wrestling moves mean nothing. And also, as a reminder, if Vince had lost that match, Stone Cold would never have been able to get another WWF title shot. So, of course, Vince won the match, meaning Austin can still contend for the title because the exact opposite result wouldn't have made infinitely more sense from a storytelling perspective. So there you go. That's that's Vince as the higher power. What do you think, Adam? <laughs> pretty pretty genius plan. Now on on a previous episode, we had talked about how the 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 corporation or the corporate I think it's, I think it was just the corporation at that point took out all the other members of DX so that in the main event nobody could come help uh, Triple H whatever it was and we didn't notice that until watching back and how how genius that was as a as a story device that uh you know that uh, you don't even notice that it's happening until the end and you go oh yeah everybody got the shit beat out of them and that's why they can't come help triple h in the main event Mm -hmm. uh this is the exact opposite of that uh (laughs) so like i i i had an inkling like that that as a whole that this wasn't going to make sense and i i had considered uh, going back and doing exactly the research that you just uh, that you just went through, but uh, did not have the time or the uh, inspiration to do so. And, I don't blame and you. knowing knowing how thorough you are, I'm sure I was uh, fairly certain you would have covered it anyways. 
but having it listed out like that is possibly the most bizarre thing I have ever heard. Yeah, I think literally the only part that makes sense is is when Shane shoves Vince into Austin at Over the Edge and fast counts him. That's pretty much it. And honestly... Shane probably didn't even need Vince to fast count. Yeah, uh, but even up to last week, like you said, even up to last week where Vince makes sure that Stone Cold doesn't get disqualified from any future title shots. Yes. When literally, if they go by the storyline, Vince could have just lost that match cleanly to The Undertaker, and then, boom, no more title shots for Austin. Right. I mean, we joked, uh, I, I joked earlier that, that you know, they, they picked Vince as the higher power 20 minutes before the show went on the air, but uh, it might uh, not be... So much of a joke. Honestly, the part that pisses me off the most is the fact that Vince got his ass beaten so many times, including <laughs> last week on the show. It's like in wrestling, you know, that's supposed to matter. You you don't want to take a tombstone from The Undertaker. You know what I mean? Like that's I'm, I'm kind of like I'm just getting completely like wrapped up in my own head. But because like, you know, when we watch wrestling, we're conditioned to think that these fights are supposed to matter. So. It would make no sense for Vince McMahon to willingly subject himself to getting his ass kicked by The Undertaker, right? I mean, that's just, that's like too much of a leap for me to think of. But actually, if you go back to, this is kind of a moment that gets a bit forgotten. Remember at Survivor Series 98 where The Rock turned heel and joined the corporation? Yeah, yep. That was was a deadly game, correct? Deadly game, yep. So the Monday before that, on a very similar note, was Vince McMahon basically getting in Rock's face. He slaps the Rock in the face, and then Rock hits him with a rock bottom and a people's elbow. That was literally the Monday before Survivor Series. So again, you have Vince McMahon, who is not a wrestler, willingly subjecting himself to getting his ass kicked by wrestlers. So it's that sort of shit where it just kind of pisses me off because I'm like, this shit should matter. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's wrestling. All they have is the wrestling match and the wrestling moves to, you know, convey the physicality. And if I'm Vince McMahon, I don't want to fucking take a tombstone from The Undertaker, you know, even if it is part of this, obviously, genius plan. But, <laughs> I don't know. Just piss me off. Take these pictures that your father took and give them to your father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Actually, you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe I'll hang on to the negatives of those. <laughs> Wait, give me, give me that envelope back. There's one that I want to keep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And by the way, if you think we spent too much time talking about this angle, let me just tell you that this greater power stuff took up literally the first 40 minutes of (laughs) Raw counting commercials. So, I mean, that's one thing you can say about the Attitude Era. If they liked an angle, they weren't shy about giving it television time. (laughs) So, yeah, literally the first from the first interview where Vince comes out to when Stone Cold is revealed as the CEO, the very first match of the night is 40 minutes into the show. So. Let's just get into that, I suppose. The first match of the night is indeed a tag team title match. Champions, the Acolytes versus Brood members Gangrel and Edge, who are accompanied by Christian. And I got a bit of a fun fact for you here, Adam. You can't tell this on the show, but when the Brood do their awesome Ring of Fire entrance at this particular episode, it caused a bit of a panic off screen (sighs) because the crew was having a hard time putting out the fire. (laughs) So how close were we to the Fleet Center fans being burned alive on this night? The world may never know. I, I say it every time I'm on the show. It's the best, one of the best entrances of all time. Oh, uh, 100%. But, 100%. It's like, do you remember that episode of Raw that almost didn't happen because the, they, they did a pyro test and set the fire alarms off? <laughs> would have, I do remember Would have been that. like that, but in the middle of the show. I think, if I recall correctly, I think that was literally the, the week after they did Raw 1000. So, like, they were kind of on this note of, like, let's still, we're going to start Every the Raw is three episodes. hours long, and we can't, we almost can't do this one. Yeah, kind of a perfect metaphor, because once they go to three-hour <laughs> Raws, 
shit's catching up, shit's just burning to the ground, and not in the fun Seth Rollins way. So, <laughs> so yes, so I, in my opinion, Brood versus Acolytes here wasn't too bad. Pretty fast-paced, really no dead air because it was only really a three-minute match. Mm-hmm. Seemed like they were trying to get in as much as possible. And interestingly, at one point during the match, the Brood's rivals, the Hardy Boys, and Michael P.S. Hayes <sighs> made their way down to ringside. <laughs> yep. And I kind of assumed they were going to interfere, but no, they just kind of stood there. And unfortunately, it looked like Gangrel may have messed up the finish. So picture this, if you will. Farouk bounces Gangrel off the ropes and then swings a clothesline over Gangrel's head. And Farouk then appears to try and do the same spot where he swings another clothesline over Gangrel. But Gangrel actually sells it, even though the move goes over his head. It clearly didn't land, and that actually caused Jim Ross to say on commentary, quote, Oh, son of a uh, bitch. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you should have said that. He said it in a more diplomatic way. He said, Farouk just barely caught a glancing blow off the head of Gangrel there. <laughs> Not I, quite. I don't think he got all of it. Yeah, that, exactly. That's the 1999 equivalent of, I don't think he got all of it. So, of course, what do you do in that situation? You... Redo the spot, of course. Immediately. So Farouk once again, yeah. Farouk once again bounces Gangrel off the ropes. He swings over him with a clothesline again. And this time Bradshaw runs into the ring and nails Gangrel with a clothesline from hell. And, uh, gee, after Gangrel fucked up the spot the first time, do you think Bradshaw's clothesline there had a little extra oomph on it? Because I'm going to guess that it did. I'm sure it did. Yeah, because nothing. Knock that fang right out. Nothing says this is a real sport like fucking up a spot and then repeating it immediately. <laughs> But yes, and that clothesline, of course, Bradshaw pins Gangrel and gets the three count afterwards. So yes, your winners and still the WWF Tag Team Champions, the Acolytes. And yes, as a reminder, I have no remi- I have no memory of the Acolytes ever <laughs> holding the tag titles when they were in the corporate ministry. But apparently they still are. And as soon as the match ended, the Hardys and Michael P.S. Hayes then grabbed Christian and started beating the crap out of him on the ramp until Edge ran over to help him out, causing the Hardys and Michael Hayes to scamper away. And once again, I say, here's hoping that this brood Hardys rivalry continues. So, Adam, <laughs> what did you think of our our opening tag team title match? Uh, I mean, other than that last spot, uh, like you said, the match itself was pretty straightforward. Like you said, a, fa- a very fast-paced affair. Nothing, Nothing too special here. For me. Yeah, it's tough to kind of rate these Attitude Era matches sometimes because it's like they're they're very, very brief. What? <laughs> they're no, certainly what? Very, yeah, <laughs> I know. Shocking. But uh, <laughs> actually, on that note, did you ever remember, because like I said, I completely forgot about this. Did you have a, a memory of the Acolytes winning the tag titles at this point? Um, Maybe vaguely. Certainly not of anything that would be like, oh, yeah, and then they and then they fought. They won it here and then they fought this and they lost it here. Like, I, I feel like I have an image in my mind of them holding the belts, but that's that's about it, really. Yeah, my image of them holding the belts is not until years later. Right. Or, or, or I guess, uh, sorry, like a year later when they when they undergo a gimmick change. But like, apparently I was wrong. When they uh, so. when they start, uh, you know, pounding uh, ass all the time? <laughs> yes, exactly. One of the greatest shirts of all time. <laughs> APA, always pounding ass. Oh, yeah. Hello, Somebody ladies. should have gotten fired for that one. Yes, exactly. It was an outtake Valvina shirt that they used for the APA. <laughs> and so after a commercial break, the three remaining members of the union, the Big Show, Ken Shamrock, and Test, head to the ring where Michael Cole was standing with a microphone. <sighs> he asked them he asked them how they're going to spend the quote-unquote blank check that Stone Cold offered them earlier tonight, 
and we get some rather surprising answers. And I'm actually going to go ahead and play their responses for you here. And just so you know, they do occasionally cut to Vince and Shane watching on a monitor backstage, so you'll get to hear their reactions every now and then as well. Ladies and gentlemen, the union... A big show, and gentlemen, you heard the new CEO of this company, Stone Cold Steve Austin, say just a few moments ago, you guys have a blank check. How are you going to fill it out? Who do you guys want to match up with tonight on Raw? First of all, I want to send out a special thanks to not only the toughest SOB I've ever met, but the toughest CEO I've ever worked for, Stone Cold Steve Austin. My decision is real simple. Tonight, Undertaker. What? It's going to be you and me. You want to play a little hardball? Well, Slugger, tonight you're going to get your wish. Because you're going to walk down that aisle, step in the ring, with the big show, and oh yes, it will be showtime. You're gonna put that WWF title on the line. Wow! I'm gonna grab you by the neck, lift you in the air, and I will choke slam you to hell. Wow! Well, yeah, the big show and the Undertaker for the title tonight live. Ken Shamrock. It's getting worse. First thing I wanna do is I want to give a shout-out to Mick Foley sitting back home with his busted-up leg. Who cares? Mick, we're going to take care of business here. Speaking of business, we, me and Jeff Jarrett were supposed to step into that lion's den over there. Well, Jeff Jarrett, you're going to have to wait your abuse. Because tonight... What? I've got something else that I want to abuse. Uh-oh. See, Stone Cold Steve Austin gave us an open season ticket here in the WWF to pick whoever we wanted. And I've got somebody that I really, really want. And that would be, of course, none other than the higher power himself, Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. Stroll back in time. See, there was a time where you were crying and you were begging for help. And who was there to help you? Everybody else walked out. It was me, Vince. I was the one that stood by you. I was the one that found your daughter for you. I was the one that put myself on the line. When does Shamrock have a memory? So, Vince, you embarrassed me. You humiliated me. So tonight, Vince, I want you to look over there because I know you're watching. There's a fence over there with a cage around it. And Matt, see, Vince, you used me. And tonight in the lion's den, I'm going to abuse you. Oh, Shamrock. Vince McMahon in the lion's den cage. Can you believe that? Well, test, 
You're up. Let me get this straight. I believe Stone Cold said we can have a matchup with whomever, whomever we want tonight. Well, for me, there's only one person that I want here in this ring with me tonight. Stephanie McMahon, will you come down here, please? What was that? What the hell is this? What's he talking about? Austin said a match. A match. Some damn wrestler. The, uh, the men folk are too high, too happy about this thing. Look at the look on her face. What? She's not, she's a... He's not going to wrestle her, is he? I don't know what Tess has on his mind, quite frankly. Maybe a mixed, mixed... Uh, What's Stephanie doing going down there? I don't get it. Stephanie, believe me, we all know it's been a rough couple of months. And I know old Vino and Shano may not like you dating a wrestler. Well, it's just something they're going to have to get over. Dayton. Because Stephanie... What? Will you give me the honor of going out with me on a date? Ah! I'd love to. Oh, oh man. Oh. So there you have it. The Big Show will face The Undertaker tonight for the WWF title, which is probably the smart move. And in a nice bit of continuity, Ken Shamrock says he wants to face Vince McMahon in a Lion's Den match since, as you may recall, Shamrock was the one guy who stayed loyal to Vince after he was booted out of the corporation. And I'm actually glad they called back to that. Yeah. But then, yeah, and maybe the most surprising moment, though, Test says he wants <sighs> Stephanie McMahon to come to the ring, and so she does. And as you heard there, the Boston crowd is chanting, we want puppies for Stephanie, who at this point is just kind of like adorable and innocent. Right. So clearly, right. there was there was nothing sacred yeah. back in 99. Yeah, you know, Test calls Stephanie to the ring, uh, demands a referee, gives her the big boot, and pins her one, two, three. Yeah, that, I was surprised about that, yeah. <laughs> Stephanie could bump. She could really bump back then. <laughs> But yes, yeah, so Tess basically asks her on a date there. While, of course, the crowd is chanting, we want puppies. Yeah. I don't know. She's she's so fucking sweet and wholesome, I want to see her tits dude, grow. Stephanie McMahon has got to have the greatest set of fucking hooters, dude. But yeah. underneath, underneath them schoolgirl sweaters, it's got to be two of the greatest tits you've ever seen. Swear to that God. Kinda, that part actually did kind of disturb me because it's like it's cute little Stephanie. Like she looks like she's, you know, kind of like a teenager almost still. And people are just like, show your fucking tits. <laughs> It's like, ugh. <laughs> Nothing was sacred in 1999. I mean, well, you're going to get into it. I mean, technically, this is a match. match match.com and all that. Test is a matchmaker. But yes, Test asked Stephanie to go out with him, or rather with his Canadian accent. He actually says, will you give me the honor of going out with me on a date? <laughs> and by the way, you want to talk about some hilarious foreshadowing? So Test says that Vince may not like the idea of Stephanie dating a wrestler and Jim Ross piggybacks on that by saying, quote, Daddy's little girl is going to date a wrestler. Alas, if they only knew. So, Adam, what did you think of the union and their respective promos here? Uh, like you said, uh, Big Show, the smartest of the bunch. 
going, I'm going to get myself a title match. Well, yeah, absolutely. Get to pick whatever match you want. Might as well. Um, Whereas Ken Shamrock flat out cancels his title match. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like I said, I I, I appreciate the callback there. Like I said, (laughs) there is some good storytelling in this greater power thing. And um, Test and Stephanie. What more? I, I uh, say, though, what more can you say? <laughs> if they if they want to elevate Test, I think this is actually not a bad way of doing it because you know it's the boss's daughter, and it really who is who is Test at this point aside from like some schlub who's just kind of he was in the corporation, now he's in the union. I mean, this does kind of go a bit of a way toward distinguishing him, especially by the time they get to SummerSlam, and well, I mean, by the time we get to a, a certain moment in November. Uh, I, I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about, but uh, the the one that gets interrupted by Triple H. Yeah. Let's just say, it seems like they're pretty, they're they're really doing a good job of building him up until until that moment in November where he basically just gets shunted right back down the card. Completely, but, completely shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But you'll get there. Yeah, at some point. But yeah, I think I think this is a good way of elevating Test. I liked the Shamrock line where he talked about Vince, where he was like, "You used me, and I'm gonna abuse you." I was like, okay, I can, I could go along with that. And but again, like I said, Shamrock tonight in the Lions Den, he literally had an intercontinental title match lined up with Jeff Jarrett, and he's like, nah, never mind, screw the title match. I wanna, I wanna beat Vince's ass. So wouldn't you though? Yeah, I guess that's kind of fair. And we'll see how that plays out later on tonight. Yes, we will. And so after a quick commercial break, we then cut backstage where Dr. Francois Petit is putting a cast on Triple H's right leg, as ordered by Stone Cold earlier tonight. The chiropractor? Yes, exactly. Quote, unquote, Dr. Francois Petit. Uh, So Hunter's apparently pretty pissed off about this, but if I were him, I'd be more upset about the fact that Dr. Petit kept interfering with the paramedics when they tried to save Owen's life two weeks ago. Hashtag allegedly, hashtag never forget. (sighs) Yeah. And we then go back into the arena for our next match, as scheduled by CEO Stone Cold, and it is the handicap match, former WWF Tag Team Champions X-Pac and Kane versus Shane McMahon. And yes, it is a handicap match, not an intercontinental title match, as the <laughs> as the logo on the screen mistakenly says. Whoops. Well, I mean, they couldn't use it for Ken Shamrock's match, so they had to put it in somewhere. That's right. They're like, wait, we're not doing that match? Okay, fine. And surprisingly, the tracksuit-wearing Shane actually comes out firing as he slaps X-Pac right across the face to begin the match. But of course, that ends up being the only offense Shane gets in, as X-Pac then starts beating the crap out of him. However, Shane quickly rolls out of the ring and tries to hightail it, but Kane stands in his way and pocknails Shane with a spinning heel kick on the arena floor. But then, out of nowhere, two guys wearing mankind masks and sweater vests jump X-Pac from behind, throwing him into the steel steps. And I kind of forgot to mention this earlier, but they did previously show those fans in the front row as an example of like, hey, look, look how crazy these WWF fans are. <laughs> and now those fans have jumped the barricade and gotten involved. But of course, in case the... <laughs> ah, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's fine. My ringtone. Excuse me just a second. If that was your ringtone, that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> So, yes, yeah, in case the sweater vests and that music didn't give it away, uh, the two guys then remove their mankind masks to reveal that they were actually Rodney and Pete Gass, the Mean Street Posse. And as a reminder, Rodney and Pete Gass lost a loser leaves the WWF match on Raw last month, but apparently they're already back in the company with no explanation whatsoever. <laughs> okay, then. Loser leaves the WWF and they're back four weeks later. Okay. So yes, the posse start taunting X-Pac and Kane on the ramp, but that proves to be a mistake because their arch-rivals Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe then sneak up on them and toss them back into the ring. 
Kane then proceeds to chokeslam Rodney, and X-Pac follows up with a heel kick to Pete Gass, and then a Bronco Buster to the unconscious Rodney for good measure. And all of this is going on while X-Pac's theme song is playing, by the way, because <laughs> they queued it up X-Pac. during the beating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. For some reason, they queued up that amazing theme song during the Mean Street Posse beating and not afterward for some reason, so that was a bit strange. And then Kane puts the cap on it by nailing Pete Gass with a tombstone for good measure. So yes, Shane McMahon somehow managed to avoid doing the job even while facing the former tag team champions by himself, but X-Pac, Kane, Patterson, and Briscoe stand tall as the segment concludes. And, and as is tradition in the Attitude Era, there is no actual finish to the match. Yes, it just, yeah. just kind of goes away. Yep. There's there's a lot of that over the next couple yeah. episodes. Can you, can you imagine actually having to write the phrase, their arch rivals, Gerald Briscoe and Pat Patterson, <laughs> Yeah, uh, for an episode that took place in 1999? Hey, it did huge ratings on that one episode. Posse, uh. versus, Posse versus Stooges <laughs> did massive ratings. <laughs> So, yes. Uh, by the way, also, since this means that the Stooges are still clearly baby faces, I suppose we can assume that they were not aware that Vince was the higher power. Cause, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of got to hurt their pride. They're so close to him. But <sighs> I don't know, Adam. What did you think of this, uh, our handicap match here with X-Pac and Kane versus Shane? Man, I've been following Mr. McMahon around for weeks, and I didn't even he didn't even tell me nothing. Yeah, this, like I said, it was uh, it was it was a beaten. Uh, that then transitioned into another beaten that uh, the match never actually finished. But um, yeah, that was my last night, my last note. So it's just over then. Yeah, oh. that's I, that's I, a recurring I, thing in the Attitude Era for sure. I enjoy seeing the posse. Yeah, I, I think actually if you liked the uh, the Mister Mac Man thing, you should definitely watch the next episode because we actually do get the Stooges confronting Vince. So, oh, I'll, nice. I'll, yeah, I'll spoil a little bit of it because Pat Patterson basically says that Vince can go to hell, and and Briscoe then <laughs> says, "And Mr. MacMahon, when you go to hell, you get your own damn coffee." <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's pretty great. It's pretty great. So stay tuned for that. We'll cover that on the next episode. But yes, that's good times are ahead. Nice. But yeah, again, as a match, I I'm just. I'm impressed that Shane McMahon, it, he's in a two-on-one handicap situation, and he still manages to avoid doing the job. So, you know, I guess it pays to be the boss's son. So after a commercial break, we go backstage where Michael Cole is with your WWF Women's Champion, Deborah. And Ugh. earlier in the broadcast, yeah, that, that says it all. Uh, earlier in the broadcast, we were told that Deborah would defend her title against Nicole Bass tonight. But then Deborah just completely shoots that down by saying that instead she wants to face Nicole in a bikini contest tonight. And if Nicole wins that, only then will she get a shot at the title next week on Raw. So for those of you scoring at home, we've already been promised three matches on this card that will not happen. (laughs) We initially said Vince versus Shane in a no-holds-barred match. Jeff Jarrett versus Ken Shamrock for the Intercontinental title inside a lion's den, and now Deborah versus Nicole Bass for the women's title. I would say this show is the epitome of that old line, card subject to change. And from there, we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is the cast match, as scheduled by CEO Stone Cold, The Rock with a cast on his left arm, versus Triple H with a cast on his right leg, and of course, Hunter is accompanied by China. Right. Back one, I, I I will say this about Deborah. I'll, I'll say this. Okay. Um, she she's not as bad as she is on Nitro in 1997, which <laughs> is something that I am having to put up with on uh, a weekly basis. But she's still not good. 
I think that's very fair. <laughs> and also, and also, I'll take titles that they don't actually care about for six hundred. Yeah, which, which ones in particular? The, the women's <laughs> title. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say she doesn't hold it for too much longer, which kind of makes sense because you know she's uh, not a fucking wrestler. That well, minor me, detail. Neither was Sable. So. Yeah, that's that's true. That is true. Oh, we'll get into that later. Just wait for that. <laughs> So anyway, back to the cast match. When Triple H makes his entrance, we can clearly see that he can barely walk with his leg cast on. So <laughs> clearly, Stone Cold knew what he was up to when he booked this match. And also, by the way, not to state the obvious here, but we're getting The Rock versus Triple H on free TV. So that's pretty cool. Are although, we, though? Are yeah, we? Not, not really. I will say, though, at the start of the match, we get a massive Let's Go Rocky chant from the crowd, which I have to admit I've actually never heard before. Usually they go for the more simplistic Rocky, Rocky. So... Nice change of pace from the Boston crowd, thinking outside the box. We're fucking smart, dude. Oh, yeah. Wicked. We got those, we got those multi-syllabic chants going, bro. And I also had to, to note the irony of a little thing that Jim Ross says here at the beginning of the match, where he says that The Rock is, quote, not one of the geriatric boys, clearly taking a shot at WCW. Meanwhile, fast forward to 2020, where 53-year-old Goldberg is your current Universal Champion, and 49-year-old Chris Jericho just had a six-month reign with the AEW World Title. And honestly, to be fair, Jericho did a fantastic job establishing the credibility of that belt. But my point is, wrestling will always be reliant on the old fucks, whether these respective companies want to admit it or not. you got to have the old fucks. I mean, I'll give, I give AEW a pass for that because it was a brand new company and so you want an established name to be your first champion to lend credence to the title to to give it that gravitas yes but no there's no fucking reason goldberg should be a champion in 2020 yeah i, I don't want it to come across as like i was saying that jericho didn't deserve that belt jericho i i'm a huge fan of aew i know you do the aew rundown i think jericho did a fantastic job establishing that belt and again he was there every week unlike goldberg who just kind of showed up to be like i want to face the fiend and then they put the belt on him <laughs> They kill this character, not kill the character, but they just, he he beats the fiend, this character who you've built up for months and months in like, what, three minutes, something like that. So yeah, that was, that was a little bit bizarre, but whatever. My, but my point is, as much as Jim Ross liked to shit talk the old timers in WCW, the, the old guys do draw in more eyeballs typically. And that's almost like they can't uh, establish new stars or anything. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. I don't know what that's about. It anyway. also strikes me, it strikes me as mildly ironic too that Jericho weaves WCW around this time because of the old timers, and now Jericho, you know, twenty one years later, he's the old timer who's holding the belt. <laughs> good times, good times. And again, I, I probably sounding like I besmirching Jericho here. Again, Jericho did a fantastic job. I don't care if he's forty nine; he's still, he's still fucking awesome. So good for Jericho. And, and Jericho's not the one who wrote himself in to be the champion. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But so anyway, as for the cast match, Rock rolls out of the ring, grabs a steel chair. And right away, he just smacks Triple H in the back with it, right in front of referee Earl Hebner. So apparently, this is a no-disqualification match as well, or is it? So basically, after Rock hits Triple H with the chair, he hits Triple H with a rock bottom and puts the chair on Hunter's face in order to set him up for the people's elbow. But then, The Undertaker runs into the ring and chokeslams Rock, which results in a disqualification (sighs) So so to to wrap this up here, a steel chair is totally fine, but outside interference, that's a DQ. Well, you because... must be a fan. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. In terms of confounding finishes like the, mas- the last match, this one may be uh, <laughs> like the Shane one was 
basically just ended, and this one is just <laughs> it, it just makes zero fucking sense. It's, it's so. Not at all. That 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 was my note too. Yeah. Um, is is this the dumbest idea for a match ever? It was pretty dumb. But, but <laughs> it was dumb, but it was also kind of clever because Triple H couldn't walk. So clearly, Stone Cold's plan came to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Rock is uh, is wearing uh, the type of arm cast that you only see in professional wrestling, where it is only the lower arm and does not encase the hand at all. Right. Um, and if it's only been a week, that arm would still hurt like hell. The Rock's arm, you mean? Yes. Oh, it's been longer. Oh. Yeah, he was he was thrown off the stage about a month ago. Oh, okay. So. I mis I misunderstood the replays then. No, that's okay. Because I actually, in my memory, again, I don't remember The Rock wearing a goddamn cast on his arm for a right. solid month. So, yeah. so there's that. And then, like you said, no DQ for the chair, DQ for the interference. Yeah. All right, WWF, whatever you say. But actually, Undertaker wasn't done there because after the match ended, he picked up Rock and tombstoned him right on the goddamn steel chair. Owie. <laughs> But that then causes Big Show to run out from backstage and chase Taker away, but he'll get a chance to get his hands on him later tonight. So, Adam, what did you think of our very brief cast match and these subsequent shenanigans with Undertaker and Rock? I guess you dumb. kind of shared some opinions already, but... Dumb, dumb, dumb. Thankfully, the first ever cast match, the last ever cast match. Yeah, presumably. I, I don't recall there being another one. But I, again, I pointed this out on the last episode of the show, literally on the last episode of Raw, The Rock was shown for maybe 30 seconds, and on this episode, we get like a minute and a half match with The Rock, which again, strikes me as kind of confusing that this is like clearly one of your big stars, and you're barely using him every week. So I don't know what the logic behind that is. Maybe you just got to get in more awesome GTV segments. I don't know, but very bizarre. So give us give us more rock. Actually, and, and not to spoil anything, but we do get a lot more rock on the next episode of the show. But, I mean, it, it'd be one thing if he wasn't there and they were just doing pre-tapes, but he's obviously in the arena and they're just not using him. So. Right. And I, I keep pointing this out how, like, I feel like rock hasn't gotten promo time in, like, at least a month. And that was how he got over as a heel was by just running down his opponents. So I don't know if people backstage are thinking, like, uh well he can't just run down his opponents when he's a baby face that just won't work you know like, like <laughs> what the hell are you thinking put the rock like out there, it, give him a goddamn mic is 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 he like actually hurt or something no i don't think so hmm. not that i not that i've read in any of these uh things going back here i, I think he hmm. actually is completely fine so interesting choices very much but so after that concludes, the WWE Network actually leaves in two segments that they usually edit out, an ad for WWF.com, AOL keyword WWF, and the Rescue of the Week, sponsored by the United States Coast Guard. So, Adam, did you ever go to AOL keyword WWF or enlist in the Coast Guard? <laughs> That's the reason I signed up for AOL, to enlist in the Coast Guard. Um, <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> I still remember that... Uh... Vince McMahon would uh, you type in keyword AOL and it would go the World Wrestling Federation on America Online. Nice. And wait, so Vince was the one who said it? Yeah, that was Vin it was Vince's voice. That does this not was, surprise me. This was, of course, like '96 or so. So he was still just a lead commentator on Raw. You've got mail, pal. So we then go back into the arena for our next segment, and it is the bikini contest: WWF Women's Champion Deborah, accompanied by Jeff Jarrett versus Nicole Bass, accompanied by Val Venus. So Deborah initially comes to the ring wearing a silver jacket to cover herself up, although admittedly doesn't really do the best job. 
And meanwhile, Nicole Bass is wearing a gray robe, and she actually has a new theme song now, too. If you recall it, Over the Edge, she entered to the Big Show's first WWF theme, but now she has her own, and it's truthfully kind of generic. And I know this will shock you, Adam, but Jerry Lawler gets up from his commentary position and volunteers to officiate this bikini contest. What? Yeah. No. That pervert? No. Yeah, that's not the Jerry Lawler I know. <laughs> so, so Deborah requests for Nicole to go first, and so she does. She kind of removes her robe to reveal a green two-piece bikini, and then she does some, like, bodybuilder-type poses for the crowd. And honestly, I fully expected Jerry Lawler to completely mock her, but he actually says that he was impressed, so small victory there. Yeah. Yeah, well, for, very, for a moment very, anyway. Very small. And uh, and then it's Deborah's turn, so she removes her jacket to reveal a silver two-piece bikini with little hearts on the breast and crotch areas, so that's uh, that's cute, I suppose. So Lawler then pulls the crowd by saying, let's hear it for Deborah and her puppies, and then alternatively, let's hear it for Nicole and her Cujos. And as you might expect, massive cheers for Deborah, massive boos for Nicole, and then somehow when it comes time to announce the winner, Lawler raises Deborah's hand and says, the winner is Nicole. No, I'm sorry, Deborah. Uh, King, King, you had literally one job there and you <sighs> fucked it up, so well done. It's all right. 21 years later and he's still fucking shit up. Yeah, right. Surprising. But then because one commentator botch wasn't enough, Jim Ross then says, good thing the King is wearing black tights when Lawler is quite clearly wearing <laughs> red tights. So I'm um, honestly, I, I don't even know what, what uh, JR was going for there anyway. Like black tights would have hid the King's boner, I guess, or maybe red tights wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe there'd be less, less of a shadow, less uh, so you can't see the definite. I don't Why am I thinking about King Jerry Lawler's dick? I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Why would you, why did you do that to me? I'm just thinking about like, is Jim Ross colorblind? Because those, <laughs> those were not black tights. But anyway, after the winner is announced, Val Venus and Jeff Jarrett start bickering with each other, so Val grabs Jarrett and tells Nicole to grab the guitar, so Nicole Bass swings the guitar at Jarrett, but Deborah pulls Double J out of the way, resulting in Nicole Bass accidentally nailing her boyfriend Val Venus with the guitar. And speaking of botches, this spot looks pretty bad too, because the guitar doesn't explode like it usually does, instead the front part of it just kind of falls off, yeah. but Val, Val has to sell it anyway. Although, to be fair, when Val gets back to his feet in a moment, we can see there's a lot of blood in his hair. So it was pretty much the worst combination of circumstances in wrestling because it looked like shit, and it injured Val Venus. Not great. Not, uh, not good. So, yes, Jared and Deborah head backstage, at which point Val confronts Nicole Bass. He yells at her that she's nothing but a screw-up, but Nicole responds to that by saying, screw you, and she walks off, and this apparently pisses Val off because he's usually the one who does the dumping, but in this case, Nicole is seemingly breaking up with him. Okay, then. So, Adam, what did you think of this whole bikini contest ordeal? I certainly don't miss this aspect of the Attitude Era. Fair. To to all of Nicole Bass's uh, detractors, I will say, you certainly can't hide a penis in that bikini. No. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, this this whole thing, this whole thing was rigged, man. This was rigged from the start, man. Are you Fuck saying you. Nicole Bass should have won? Fuck you, Jerry Lawler. <laughs> you, would, you would have voted for Nicole Bass in the bikini contest? <laughs> like I said, I don't miss this aspect of the Attitude Era. Yeah. Uh, like you said, terrible fucking guitar shot. And Val Venus is a fucking dick. Do you mean in this segment or in real life? Uh, both, but specifically in this segment. Last I saw, he was still harping on about the Nyla Rose thing. It's Ugh. like, dude, I get it. Y you don't like it. Move on. 
Anyhow, that's a whole that's a whole other separate issue. He's gross. And then when we return from commercial, we get GTV. So yes, the segment was literally called GDTV for one week, but then Goldust was granted his release, and now it's just GTV. Wait, it was going to be Goldust? It was, or or Tom <laughs> Green, or Tom Green, yeah, or Hornswoggle. Oh God, no, that was the that was the secret. Uh, that was the raw general manager, I think. Yep. Ugh. But anyway, this week in GTV, the hidden camera is located inside of PMS's locker room where they talk about some of the men in the WWF who they've slept with. So Terry says that the big Valboski clearly benefited from special effects in his movies, while Ryan Shamrock says that Billy Gunn is called Mr. Ass because his ass is the only thing he has going for him. And then to cap it off, Terry says that on her wedding night, she had to wave some sort of object in front of Dustin's dick just to get it to poke its head out. And actually, Jacqueline was laughing at the time, so I couldn't actually hear what Terry said. She had to wave in front of Dustin, but how's that for a nice little pardon gift there? Like, oh, yeah, Goldust, <laughs> Goldust, you're quitting the company, huh? How about we have your wife tell the world you can't get it up? Ugh. How about we say, how about we say you got a micropenis? Yeah, micropenis. <laughs> so... <laughs> So what do you think, Adam? Did you enjoy this week's GTV with PMS? <laughs> the only thing I wanted to have happen during this was for the sink that Terry was sitting on to just fall off the wall. <laughs> uh, that's that's all I wanted. Like a GTV outtake? <laughs> just water starts spraying everywhere. So yeah, now we know, folks. Dustin Runnels apparently had to have something waved in front of his dick in order to for it to come so, out on his honeymoon. Something. So yeah, N- nice job kicking him while he's down on the way out. That's great. Those of you listening at home, if you if you want to go back and see if you can figure out what Terry was saying, hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, check out that GTV segment because I I have no idea what she said, and I'm not going to watch it again. If that's that's fair. <laughs> and from there, we go back into the arena for our next match: the now former Intercontinental Champion, The Godfather, accompanied by Seven Hoes versus Mr. Ass. And yes, Tony Chimmel literally announces him as simply Mr. Ass. And speaking of ass, holy shit. Let's just say some of the Godfather's hoes are uh, not very shy tonight. One of them is wearing a skirt that quite literally covers almost nothing, and another one just flat out lifts her skirt up at another point. So if ever you wondered why the WWF got such huge ratings in 1999, I'm sure the Godfather's segments helped out a little bit. Yeah. And as soon as the match begins, we can tell how interested Jim Ross is in it because he immediately starts talking about the Ken Shamrock-Vince McMahon-Lions Den match, and the Undertaker Big Show title match. And specifically, he tells us that your new CEO, Stone Cold Steve Austin, has decreed that if any member of the corporate ministry interferes in either of those matches, that corporate ministry member will be fired right on the spot. So just remember that little tidbit for a few minutes from now. But getting into the Godfather and Mr. Ass, the match was pretty short, and eventually Godfather managed to hit Billy with his running hoe train splash, He then charged at Billy again, but this time, Mr. Ass pulled down the top rope, sending Godfather crashing to the floor. So it appeared as though Billy was in control, but then, while referee Tim White was checking on the Godfather, the road dog Jesse James ran out from backstage, stuck into the ring, and nailed Mr. Ass with a pump handle slam, thankfully, without pretending to bang him up the ass before he hit the move, (laughs) and the road dog then ran back up the ramp, Godfather re-entered the ring, and much like the mighty Hulk Hogan, the Godfather hit a big leg drop. He hooked Billy's leg, and that was enough for the one, the two, and the three. Your winner of the match, the Godfather. 
And I have to say, Adam, I'm actually pretty surprised with this result because they've been pushing Billy Gunn lately. And uh, spoiler alert, he's about to be given an even bigger push at the next pay-per-view. So I'm not really sure why they felt the need to have Godfather go over here, but so be it. So I don't know. What did you think of this uh, this match between these two? Uh, well, first off, Boston's got a lot of hoes. Yeah, it was like, there were seven. It seems, like a, it seems like a larger train than normal. Um, it, it, it very much is. It's usually like you know three or four. I I will never understand how a referee doesn't notice you know the ring moving and the large <laughs> crashing sound behind him yeah. when when something like this happens. Um, oh, Billy Gunn must be practicing his bumping behind me. <laughs> yeah, uh, like you said, typical typical attitude era match in that it was very very short, very quick crash TV as it were. But uh, I mean, what it was 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 good, and uh, yeah, like you said, Jr. does not give didn't give a shit about it at all. But yeah, I mean, these uh, these two guys are two solid guys who can who can work. So not a bad match. Yeah, they're they're very much attitude era characters. One guy is the pimp, and the other guy is obsessed with his own ass. So <laughs> very very much attitude era. I'm again, I'm surprised Godfather went over, but you know, Billy Gunn will get his moment in the sun very soon, and then and then well, he'll also be kind of. Uh, <sighs> He'll, he'll revert back to something he was doing before, let's just say that. But yes, the the Road Dog-Billy Gunn feud is going to continue, which I guess makes sense because they were one of the most successful tag teams of all time, so got to keep running with it. And uh, yeah, spoiler alert, they face each other next week as well in a rather rather unique match, but we'll get to that. So we then go backstage where Michael Cole is with Darren Drozdov and Prince Albert, and Cole asks Droz if he's ready to compete tonight in a hardcore match against Al Snow, to which Draws responds by vomiting. Blech. And yes, and not to be outdone, Albert then also vomits <laughs> for no apparent reason. Once again, this is this is the attitude era in a nutshell, folks. <laughs> How can we fill twenty seconds of screen time? I don't know, have two guys puke on the floor? Sold. There you go. And that's exactly what happens. And that provides a fitting segue because my, after a commercial. My only, break, note, my only note from that segment just says, We all puke. And Michael Cole kind of makes a face when it happens. Uh. But that does that does provide a fitting segue, though, because after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is indeed for the hardcore title, your champion Al Snow, accompanied by Head, versus Darren Drozdov, who is accompanied by Prince Albert. And much like John Moxley, Al Snow enters through the crowd because he's clearly <laughs> a man of the people. But interestingly, though, Al Snow actually stays in the crowd, which proves to be part of his strategy, because when Draws enters, Al Snow actually runs off into the backstage area and makes Draws chase him. <laughs> so yes, it appears as though we're getting another hardcore match, which will take place mostly away from the ring. Fun for the television audience, but probably not as much for the live crowd. Although I will say, it got interesting pretty quickly, because Al and Draws started brawling into the nearby Legend Sports Bar inside of the Fleet Center, and the highlight of this part was probably when Al Snow put draws on the bar countertop and tried to slide him across <laughs> it, but it just, it completely not at all. did not work. No. Uh -uh. I think he was envisioning like that he would, the draws would just kind of like smoothly glide across the bar <laughs> like you see in the movies, but uh, no, he was barely able to move him at all. What's friction anyways? <laughs> right, exactly. And shortly after that, Al then smashed a potted plant into Draws's head. Mitch, no! Oh, good. wow, good call. <laughs> I, I did just reference John Moxley, so that's fitting. And so, yes, he smashes the potted plant into Draws's head, followed by hitting him with what looked like some sort of marble sculpture or something. <laughs> so Al Snow then goes for the pin. Referee Jimmy Corderas makes the count. And 
that was somehow enough for the win, which seemed <laughs> awfully anticlimactic. It felt like the match had just started, but then Al Snow hits draws with a sculpture, and the match is over. Yeah. So I will say, though, the fans in the sports bar pro- popped pretty big for it. <laughs> they, had but a, they, had a, they had a great fun. They did. So your winner and still hardcore champion is Al Snow. So, Adam, what would you think of this one? Uh, during this match, we learned why you do not pre-score drywall for a spot. Al Snow picks up a thing and drywall tries to hit draws with it. It breaks in his hand, so he picks up another one. That breaks in his hand, too. Exactly. Uh, I don't know why we needed a second cameraman or why we had to cut to him in the hallway running towards the restaurant. Is is the belt still in the ring? Is Is it just hanging out? Afterwards, we just cut to Ken Shamrock like, well, that happened. Let's move on. That's pretty much a fitting theme. I wonder if, like, maybe the first segment was, like, it ran so long that they, like, really had to cut down. They're like, they're like sorry, Al Snow and Draws, we we're going to give you, you know, eight Son minutes. Bitch, 45 minutes, shit. We we're going to give you eight minutes, but now you get three, so make it count. But, yeah, you know, pretty entertaining for what it was, very short. As I said, I think it was about three minutes. But, yeah, really, really very anticlimactic ending. And I, I think that was supposed to be a marble sculpture. Is that what they were going for? It almost, <laughs> looked, almost looked like plastic. Let's, let's just say it was marble because it sounds more devastating. Yes. And after commercial break, we then go back into the arena where it is now time for the Lion's Den match. Ken Shamrock versus Vince McMahon. And by the way, now that Vince is a heel once again, he's gone back to using No Chance in Hell as his entrance theme. So that's a positive. So Vince enters the Lion's Den first, and that proves to be beneficial for him because it allows him to take a metal chain and wrap it around the door so Shamrock can't get in. So after Shamrock tries kicking the door a few times to open it, Vince instead grabs the chain for himself to use as a weapon, and he taunts Shamrock to come into the cage. And that proves to be an effective distraction because while Shamrock is staring down Vince, your WWF Intercontinental Champion Jeff Jarrett sneaks up on Shamrock and just absolutely levels him with an unprotected chair shot to the skull. Now remember, Stone Cold decreed that no corporate ministry member could interfere in the match, but Vince was able to exploit that little loophole because, clearly, Jeff Jarrett is not in the corporate ministry. Clever. So anyway, the momentum of the chair shot actually propels Shamrock inside the cage, where Vince immediately puts the unconscious Shamrock into an ankle lock of his own, and as soon as he does that, referee Mike Chioda calls for the bell, because Shamrock is knocked out, so that means that, yes, Vince McMahon just beat Ken Shamrock in a Lion's Den match. Okay, then. And we then get an overhead camera shot of the unconscious Shamrock lying face down on the mat of the Lion's Den, but here's the part that perplexes me. We can clearly see the mat is stained with blood, to which I ask, how? Shamrock isn't bleeding, and no other match took place inside the cage, so are we to assume that they just used an old-ass bloody mat and never cleaned it? That's that's kind of unsanitary, and frankly, that's how you get corona, for Christ's sakes. That's a lion's den, brother. And after a quick commercial break, we cut backstage where Vince and Shane quickly run to a limousine, which immediately drives away so they can avoid <laughs> the potential wrath of Ken Shamrock. So, Adam, what did you think of this quote-unquote Lion's Den match? Now, now you said that they, they had announced a Lion's Den match for yeah, tonight? They, they did at the top of the show. They said it was going to be Ken Shamrock versus Jeff Jarrett oh, in okay. the Lion's Den. Yep. I somehow missed that completely. Yeah, only Vince McMahon is capable of locking a door with a chain, but not a lock. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, kind of crucial. <laughs> yeah, my only other note is, wow, fuck that match then. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jeff uh, Jeff Jarrett just completely fucks up Ken Shamrock's day. 
Yeah, it strikes me as funny that they go to all the trouble of setting up the lion's right. den for for a segment that literally lasts maybe thirty seconds. Right. Well, that was my first, that was my my original note because I missed that uh, I missed that announcement at the top of the show somehow. I said, "Good thing HQ isn't far from Boston. They must have had to scramble to get the lion's den to the arena and set up once Austin was made CEO earlier <laughs> this afternoon." Right. I also, by the way, one thing I will say that I did find pretty funny was when when Jared hits Shamrock in the face and he falls into the cage. When Vince then puts Shamrock into the ankle lock and he's just like <laughs> he's just like wrenching it on Shamrock, who is clearly <laughs> unconscious. A pretty funny visual, I will say. But yeah, yes. no, that was good. Yeah. So once again, Vince McMahon outsmarts Stone Cold, or I should say, one of the McMahon family members outsmarts Stone Cold Steve Austin. Because remember, Shane got away in that tag team match, that handicap tag match. Yeah. Thanks to the uh, the Mean Street Posse, and now Vince McMahon gets off scot free without having to actually compete in a lion's den. Thanks to Jeff Jarrett, so Stone Cold, Mate. pretty ineffectual CEO so far, clearly making his life a living hell. And so it is now time for your main event WWF Championship match. Champion, Aww. the Undertaker. <laughs> yep, we're not going to talk about them announcing the King of the Ring tournament. Oh no, I didn't actually. Would you like to to interject? My, I, I didn't write, the only thing I wrote down because it, because it made me laugh is, uh, there's a lady, there's a lady in the King of the Ring tournament. There is, yes. China. Are they down to the final four? Was it four left or was it eight? I think it might have <laughs> been eight at this point. I think it was eight, yeah. Yeah. But yes, hey, maybe China will win the Queen of the Ring. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe. Stay tuned. But yes, it's time for your main event WWF Championship match. Champion, The Undertaker, accompanied by Paul Bearer, versus Union member, The Big Show. And if any member of the corporate ministry interferes in the match, they will be fired on the spot. And The Undertaker, by the way, is now wearing the standard Attitude Era Attitude Era circular championship belt. He had been wearing Stone Cold's smoking skull belt over the past few weeks, but now he's gone back to the usual ones. So that's good. It's on my wall over there. Oh, yes, that's true. <laughs> you do have your own Attitude Era replica belt. Mm-hmm. I still stand by it. I like it better than the Winged Eagle, but I know you uh, you disagree. How dare you? <laughs> I know it's a classic, but still. You know, something tells me, Henry, something tells me this match won't go as planned for the Union either. Whatever makes you think that. Like, mm. I guess we'll see. But on that note, though, before the match begins, we get the JVC Kaboom of the Week, <laughs> which was a clip from Raw one month ago where The Undertaker smacked Big Show in the head with a goddamn baseball bat, which yeah. still, still looks awesome in my humble opinion. Were you a fan of that spot? Yeah, that was... Uh... That was impressive. I think so. Nomar 316, indeed. Thankfully, did not have the same uh, outcome as that uh, that time it happened in Impact a, a few months ago. Oh, yes, that's right. What was that? Was that Sammy Callahan who did that? Yeah. I don't remember. Oh. I don't remember who the other person was, but... Yeah, yeah there's also an infamous match where uh, I believe it's New Jack who takes a metal baseball bat and starts beating up this helpless old dude because he wasn't yeah. selling for him. Yeah. We all, we all know New Jack's crazy. Yeah. We talked Fuck about that, that last week on the AEW Rundown. I think he actually has his own uh, autobiography coming out now, doesn't he? I don't know. Yeah, pick that up. No. No, oh, fair enough. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so, yes, getting into the match, the Big Show was in control for most of the early part of the match, but the tide turned when both men went down to the floor. So Big Show put Taker over his shoulder with the idea of throwing him into one of the turn posts, but Taker wriggled free and pushed Big Show into the post instead. And from there, Paul Bearer distracted referee Earl Hebner, which allowed Taker to hit Big Show in the back with a steel chair. And I mention this because doesn't that technically count as a member of the corporate ministry interfering in the match? So shouldn't Paul Bearer, <laughs> shouldn't he be fired immediately for that? Or am I off base on this one? Also, didn't we learn earlier in the show that chair shots don't cause disqualifications? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> Maybe that's only in cast matches, maybe. Yes, clearly. Because there are so many cast matches. Yes. 
very specific rules for a cast match. But yes, so after spending an incredibly long amount of time working over Big Show on the floor for some reason... Hmm. Can't, Im- can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. The Undertaker rolls Big Show back into the ring, and Taker then goes to the top turnbuckle to attempt a flying clothesline, but, well, take a listen to what happens next. <gasps> what do you, you think maybe Stone Cold Steve Austin is behind the referee's decision to allow so much latitude here? I mean, how long were they fighting out here on our oh. desk? Look at this! I'm sorry. <laughs> As you heard there, The Undertaker went for a flying clothesline, but The Big Show grabbed him by the throat, picked up Taker, and choke-slammed him right through the goddamn ring. Yep. So I guess now I guess now we know why they spent so much time brawling on the arena floor <laughs> then. Very, very cool spot, though. Admittedly, yeah. probably copied from the Bam Bam Bigelow Taz match at ECW's Living Dangerously 98, but still very cool. <laughs> yeah, but now, now people actually saw it. Uh <laughs> Yeah, but no, it's a great, it's a great spot. It's one of those spots that, that, uh, lives on forever in, uh, replays and video packages and whatnot. As well, it should. But there is an unfortunate part, though, because shortly after he sends Taker straight to hell, referee Earl Hebner calls for the bell, presumably signaling a no contest. So even though he just hit his finisher on Taker and completely destroyed him, Big Show does not win the title. Tough break for him there. And shortly after the match ends, Bradshaw, Farouk, and Midian all ran down to the ring, and Big Show chokeslammed all of them as well, although for some reason, they didn't fall through the ring. Uh, He must have taken a little something off of those (laughs) chokeslams. But here's my main problem with this spot. So Taker gets chokeslammed through the ring, and within a minute, he's out of the hole, back on his feet, and walking to the backstage area. How How the fuck do you not at least have him sell that move until the show goes off the air? It would have literally been, like, only another minute. I, I don't think that's asking too much to sell. What? I was thinking of, like, that spot where, uh, like, Brock and Big Show do the superplex and the ring collapses. Like, what if what if Big Show just, like, bounces right back to his feet a minute later? That would have just completely ruined the spot. Oh, so guess the show's over. 
I guess I'll just it's get just up a, and walk away. Like that, like that cage match where, uh, at the time, Dean Ambrose sold the finish until every every fan had left the building. Oh, I, I don't remember that actually. But that's see, that's that's the kind of commitment that I want. And frankly, Undertaker, I think, should know better. I feel like. I don't know for sure, but I feel like it was probably like, well, B- Big Show ain't one of our guys, so I'll, I'll sell it for a little bit. I'm walking out, you know? <laughs> I don't know for sure. That's just my interpretation. But, yeah, it, it just really pissed me off that, like, you do this spot where he goes through the ring, and then it's like, I'm back on my feet and walking backstage. It's like, what <laughs> Take, the fuck? Taker's got to leave, brother. Uh, but, anyway, so, Adam, what did you think of the main event? And, actually, that what did you also think of that subsequent spot of Taker being chokeslammed through the ring? Uh, like I said, that's an iconic spot. That's... Uh, a, a great spot, always looks amazing. And yeah, looking back on it, you can see exactly what the why they spent so much time outside the goddamn ring. Uh, match itself, uh, nothing to really write home about, but that again, just an iconic finish. Yeah, the match itself was basically just a lot of filler of them brawling on the floor so they could set up the the eventual spot that happened. But yeah, again, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised because I didn't realize this was that match. I obviously remembered the spot, but. It didn't strike me that it was the same night the higher power was revealed that we got the choke slam through the ring. So, All right, right. very nice, very nice surprise. Uh, again, like you said, a, a moment that really does live on in time. But uh, I'm I'm kind of glad that I don't remember Taker getting up and walking away. So I guess I guess that means it did have <laughs> resonance to me because I didn't remember him walking away from it. But yes, I'll just say stuff like that. Just just sell it. Just sell it, people. When you do a massive spot like that, I mean, come on. Those guys took all that time to set up the hole in the ring. The least you could do is sell it. You know, I mean, come on. But also, Adam, I'm afraid I have a bit of uh, bad news coming out of this main event. Yeah, tonight was the final night of the union. So, yes, even though Big Show, Ken Shamrock, and Test all had their moments, this is the last night they spend together as a faction. So I'll ask you this. What did you think of the union? Do you think they had potential, or did you just see it as kind of like a group of guys who were thrown together haphazardly with nothing to do? Union. (laughs) Uh, I, I remember when I, I seem to remember enjoying the faction when it existed, uh, mainly because of Mick Foley, the oh, union of people you ought to respect, Shane. Clever so, acronym. Yes. So I, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed that part of it. Like I said, as a whole, it was completely inconsequential, but, um, I didn't hate it back in the day. I was, I've said this a couple of times as we went on, like the union, they were, they were getting a really nice pop from the crowd again, but that could, that could be a fact, a factor, I should say, of Mick Foley mostly being with them every right. week. But the crowd was chanting union several times. They were into it, but I mean, you know, it was just a case of maybe they were just like, we got nothing else for these guys, so we're going to split them up. I, I don't know, but I feel like they, they could have let it ride. They probably get a, a bad reputation mostly because it was such a brief stable, but I mean, I'll go ahead and I'll defend the union a little bit. I mean, people people were into the union. I think they probably could have let it ride a little longer, but obviously Mick Foley is gone at this point. He's having the, the real-life knee surgery that he needed right. to have for several months. So right. I guess they just said, you know what, screw it. If Foley's not going to be a part of it, we can just go different directions with these guys. So, yeah, I mean, so it, be it. it. It makes sense if you think about it because it's, what was it? It was Foley, Show, Shamrock, and Test? Yes. There's Out of those four guys, you've got one guy who's got who's got – charisma and he's and he's on the shelf with a knee with having knee surgery so it makes sense that you're not going to try and salvage the other three who really would not be able to carry any kind of program as a as a group i think because like i said foley was really kind of the face and the spokesman of the group he's the one who put it together he came up came up with the name as it were you know on on screen and so with foley gone it just kind of makes sense to kind of let it just kind of fizzle out 
Yeah. And I can't also help but think it's kind of sad that, like, Big Show comes over from WCW and this is what they have him doing. <laughs> you know, even though, like I said, they were getting over, it's just kind of like, really, this is what you do with the Big Show? You put him into the union? Okay, sure. Why not? Your song sucks. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, if you actually, if you watch this episode, you will see someone hold up a sign that says, your music sucks when the Big Show enters. So. <laughs> But yes, that was Monday Night Raw, but we're not done yet. So on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seas back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast as Ben Duggan. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. It won't let me back in. Cause yeah. I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Rob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they pluckin'. The WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The Ratings Recap. So last week, Raw beat Nitro 6.25 to 3.27. This week, Nitro once again slightly declined down to a 3.18, but presumably thanks to the interest in the higher power storyline, Raw bumped all the way up to a 6.67 rating. For those scoring at home, that's their second highest head-to-head rating all year, trailing only the number they put up for Raw is Owen. But as always, here's what you could have been watching over on the TNT Network. And Adam, you can let me know if any of these matches would appeal to you since you're going to get to them on Nitromania at some point. May I? Oh, please. May I? Meanwhile, over on the TNT Network, we are six days away from the Great American Bash, and we are live from the CSU Center in Cleveland, Ohio, with WCW Monday Nitro, episode 194. You're saving me a lot of time here. This is good. Macho Man and his hoes arrive in a limo with a very important bucket that is apparently for Kevin Nash. Whatever this is, it apparently smells horrendous. Yep. In the ring, Hack is a dick to Fat Uncle Ref, whose name is Scott Dickinson, J.J. Dillon, and Eric Bischoff. Then he pins Prince Iakea after failing him to put him through a table twice. Morris and Brian Knobs attack Hack. Billy Kidman tries to make the save and fails miserably. The Nitro Girls dance. Then your opening video. Henry, as someone who's still in 97, I like the stage with the new logo, but that opening video is garbage. No, not a fan, huh? We get a recap of Tank Abbott and Sting, and then Macho Man and Kevin Nash, and then Pyro. We're 15 minutes into the show. <laughs> At commentary, Bischoff gives away the identity of the guy in the hood, just in case you were going to change the channel to watch a yep. segment that's already happened. I was actually uh, going to play that clip, too. Uh, Lenny Lane gets pinned by the narcissist Scotty Riggs, thanks to a rocker dropper. Backstage, Ric Flair talks to Chris Benoit in his office as president. Apparently, being president at WCW means you can wear loafers without socks. <laughs> this segment lasts far too long. Anyway, Perry Saturn busts in and demands a tag title shot, but Flair says there's already a tag title match tonight with himself and Benoit. Macho Man makes his way to the ring with his bucket of shit to tell us that Kevin Nash isn't here. He issues an open challenge, which is answered by Sting, and that's your main event. Just to be clear, too, when you say bucket of shit, you mean that literally. This is a a bucket of shit. It's a bucket of shit. Yeah. Uh, Note that during the promo, Sting intimated that Macho was gay and then said that he needs Viagra. More Nitro Girls dancing. We then go back to last week for Nash filling Macho Man's limo with sewage, hence the bucket of shit. Then enter Kevin Nash, who we were just told wasn't there. Uh, oh, he tells us that he just got there. Nice of you to show up. He calls out Macho, and we get more Macho. Macho gets in the ring. Nash runs away, suspiciously leaving his gym bag behind. The bag starts moving, and some random ginger chick dumps the bucket of refried beans on Macho's head. By the way, for the record, I went back, and uh, because of the certain angle that gets started on this Nitro, I listened to uh, the portion of Eric Bischoff's podcast, okay. and he actually mentioned this contortionist woman, and he said basically all the boys backstage were asking for her number. I'm sure. Jesus. 
Yeah. Uh, we talked about it on uh, the Starcade Nitromania a few weeks ago. I sure hope WCW has multiple ring mats now. Uh, Bischoff is tickled as pink as Macho's jacket at him getting shit dumped all over him. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently they do not have multiple canvases yet as we have to watch people clean the actual shit out of the ring. Oh. That'll be nice for people to wrestle in for the rest of the night. Yeah. It is tag title time. Future radicals Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn defeat the champions DDP and Bam Bam Bigelow by pinfall to become your new tag team champions. But wait, you say, I thought Benoit was teaming with Flair. Well, check this out. Flair, because he is Flair, ditched Benoit in the middle of the match by avoiding a tag and leaving the arena. Then Arn Anderson hopped up to fill in. Then Perry Saturn came down. Arn and Perry were both standing on the apron. Perry gets the tag, so somehow he becomes the official replacement for Flair, even though it really doesn't work that way. And Perry cleans house and wins the titles. Then after the match, (laughs) apparently, after the match, Perry's actual partner, Canyon, comes down and turns on him and the three kick the shit out of the two. Tony then loses his shit at the idea of the next match being a Mexican hardcore match, like any good Falls Count Anywhere match. They never leave the ringside area, and it ends when LaParca powerbombs one of his opponents. I don't know which one is Damien and which one is Ciclope through a pair of chairs, and then pins him in the center of the ring. And by the way, in terms of Ciclope, when you get to Slambury 98, Ciclope has one of the greatest moments in WCW history, so enjoy that. Nice. Backstage, an NWO meeting, a leather daddy who might be Scott Norton is upset at Brian Adams, Vincent, and two other dudes I don't recognize for not helping him last week. The cat then enters to clown music. He yells at the crowd, then pins Horace after hitting him with the crowbar. His clown music plays again as the NWO is pissed off backstage. The Nitro girls then dance for a third time. Henry, we complain about Raw being three hours long, but at least they don't do this. (laughs) Uh, Gene, I I think the Nitro girls, or the Raw girls, if they had them, might spice things up a little bit, might (laughs) break up the monotony. Gene then talks to Roddy Piper. He promises to murder Ric Flair on Sunday. He also complains about the young guys complaining about the old guys made eventing. Are we shooting, brother? Uh, then he steals Triple H's bit where he steals from Michael Buffer and he calls out Buff Bagwell. I can sum up this whole reality check segment with two words. Okay, boomer. <laughs> Except then they team up at the end. Anyway, we go out to the parking lot where the hoes are in Macho's limo to try and seduce Kevin Nash, who is already leaving despite being the world champion and the show not being over yet, and also him showing up late. Hey, that's what happens when you're the booker. You can you can do that. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, holy fuck, it's the White Hummer. What a week I picked to be on the show. Yes. Enter Bobby Duncan Jr. and Kurt Hennig. Bobby loses to Rey Mysterio, who enters in a gas mask, which is appropriate because they still haven't replaced the mat. Sadly, he <laughs> removes the mask before the match. The match ends in disqualification when, unsurprisingly, Kurt Hennig interferes. A WCW.com ad freely admits that their new website is utterly incomplete, advertising the Superstars section featuring 25 of WCW and NWO's hottest stars. 25. We've already seen more than 25 people on this episode of Nitro. Yeah, needless to say. What, but what if it was like World War Three? They have 60 right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, we recap Kevin Nash being an idiot. Uh, we come back from break, and Tony informs us that the medical staff has arrived. It's been a good 20 minutes since the Hummer smashed the limo. Why are they just now arriving? Why weren't they already there? Fair. Uh, The Steiner brothers then come to the ring so Scott can yell a poem about fucking at us. Uh, He then yells (laughs) at Sting. Then Rick yells at us. I cannot take seriously a man in a leather jacket with a chrome bulldog on each shoulder. Apparently, John Cena stole If You Want Some, Come Get Some from Rick Steiner. We then recap Macho getting dog food dumped on him, so we know where King Corbin got that idea. Disco Inferno then calls Buff Bagwell a pussy for not punking out Roddy Piper. Tony drives traffic to the website for an update from Bischoff on Kevin Nash. Then Buff comes out and dances along to his pyro. Buff pins Disco with the blockbuster. And in your main event, Macho Manslaughter Randy Savage versus Sting. Savage loses by disqualification because he is a crazy person. He also never removes his sunglasses. 
Sting beats up Macho and his hoes, and then the Steiner brothers come down and beat up Sting. Lex Luger then saves Sting. Lex Luger, swear to God, is wearing a FUBU jersey. FUBU. Yeah, Kevin Nash, too, also big on the FUBU in 99. Lex Luger, whitest yeah. motherfucker in America. Yep. Uh, and that's it. That's how we go off the air. Lex Luger in a FUBU jersey. Wow, that was fantastic. I'm glad you, you jumped in on that. I do have two things I want I to figured it was, on. it was my gimmick. Ab- absolutely, yeah. The, <laughs> the Nitro Mania guy. And by the way, if you want more info like that, tune into the Nitro Mania podcast. That's a, that's a perfect advertisement right there. We'll get to that episode in about uh, two years. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You're on uh, January of 97 right now. I will say I'm glad you mentioned the part about Bischoff because I do want to put that clip in here where he literally reveals the higher power an hour before Raw goes on the air. And also, just just as a, a thing here, did Bischoff not learn from when the whole Mick Foley spoil his title <laughs> reign thing? Where it's like, it's Bischoff, it's literally Bischoff saying Vince is the higher power, so you might as well just go turn on Raw, basically. It's like free advertising for Raw. So here, here's the clip of Bischoff spoiling the higher power here. Well, it's going to be exciting, no, no doubt about it, but, you know, I do know for a fact we are going to have one heck of a Nitro here tonight. And by the way, on the competition, the guy under the hood, I can't mention his name, but the initials are VM. Mick, Mick something that's or other. Hey, I hate to blow that's it for anybody, but it's, that's that, it. That's all it is? Hey, just keep rehashing that same old crap over and over again. But anyway, let's get down here. By the way, DJ Rand, I'm talking to him today. He said uh, he got the word. Master P and the No Limit Soldiers. Watching WCW real close. Expect a big announcement there. And if uh, you happen to be watching the news at all today, Dennis Rodman signed. He's coming back to WCW. A lot of stuff going on here. Initials are VM, right? I think it was the higher power. Right. Not too powerful right now. He's carrying around a hundred and ten million dollar lawsuit. That ain't power. That's a big black cloud. Ouch. Nobody's safe. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy from the truck of But it was a live episode of Raw. How did he know? Apparently he guessed. That was his explanation. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'll also say though, it's probably not the good, not the best look where Bischoff is like, oh, that's pretty unoriginal. Vince McMahon's the higher power, <laughs> and he's literally doing this while a Scotty Riggs Lenny Lane match is going on. It's like, yeah, who the fuck needs Stone Cold and Vince McMahon? We have Scotty Riggs and Lenny Lane. <laughs> Don't touch that diet. We have Macho Man and a bucket of shit. Yeah, and a contortionist. <laughs> And I'm glad you also mentioned that, like you said, this is that this is the night of the White Hummer. And I do have an excerpt to speak from the book, The Death of WCW by Brian Alvarez and R.D. Reynolds. Would you like me to, uh, to give that to you? Absolutely. Perfect. So here's the quote. The main angle on the show saw a white Humvee crash into a limo containing Kevin Nash, seemingly killing him. This was a brilliant idea considering he was supposed to headline a pay-per-view six days later. Yeah. And worse, $50,000 was spent to shoot this, and it drew a pitiful 2.7 rating. In the end, the real driver was never revealed, end quote. So, Adam, it seemed like you actually said you were familiar at least a little bit with this who drove the White Hummer angle before you watched this show. Correct. I, well, I knew I knew of it, as everybody knows of it, because it's one of those it's one of those classic WCW things where it's a big thing and it's never uh, never revealed. That's that's really all that I knew about. It. I had no idea that it was this week. I was actually very excited when I when I was watching Nitro and that it was and that happened. I was like, oh shit, it's this. 
yeah, again, as someone who who never watched WCW back in uh, these days, but it was uh, it was a nice surprise. Yeah, well, the good thing is the WWF never does those angles where they just don't reveal something. Oh, uh, by the way, stay tuned for Vince and Shane versus Austin at King of the Ring. <laughs> so, but on that note, let's go to the Raw synopsis. And I will ask you, Adam, what did you think of this episode of Monday Night Raw overall? Attitude Era, I love you nostalgically, but goddamn. <laughs> goddamn. The longest match on the show was the main event, and it was less than seven minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. The, the next longest show on the ma- match on the show is the opening tag title match, and it was less than three and a half minutes long. Oh, man. There, yeah, I think there, there probably was like, what, about maybe 20 minutes of wrestling on this show total? Yeah. Across Ugh. like seven matches? Yeah. There there were some good story beats here, of course, and this is a very highly regarded episode of Raw. It, it's uh, Last I checked, which is when I wrote this, it had a 7.86 out of 10 on Cage Match. Oh, wow. Um, but it's really based on two moments in two hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the show is not great. Uh, yeah. A cast match? Fucking really? <laughs> uh, McMahon defeats Shamrock thanks to Jeff Jarrett. Two matches end in a no contest. Uh, your your rose-colored glasses are in full effect here. Yeah. I think what I've learned coming back and like watching these Attitude Era shows is if you come at it from the perspective of like uh, – your Dave Meltzer's or your Scott Keats, where you're like, this match is three stars, this match is four stars. It's a losing proposition because you never get long matches on Raw. Right. I think I think basically the sort of compromise we made watching this back in the day was like, we just know when we watch Raw, we're going to get short matches, and then you know, they'll save the long ones for the pay-per-view. And I'm kind of okay with that. I think the way I see it back when I was watching the show in 99 was not so much like, oh, this is a four-star, this is a five-star match. It was kind of like... You know, did you entertain me for the two hours I was given? And I was entertained for the most part by the higher power thing here, even though admittedly it took up a huge chunk of the show and the revelation was pretty terrible. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty thumbs in the middle. I like Stone Cold taking over as the CEO, as goofy an idea as that is. I just love coming him, him coming out, like wearing the tie over the baseball jersey, making the matches. I will say the buildup, they made the buildup for the higher power seem very big because Again, in my memory, I thought they built this up for like weeks and weeks as to like who is the higher power when in actuality it was kind of like what AEW did with the Exalted One this past week where it's just like, oh, we're going to reveal him next week, you know? (laughs) So, although I will say AEW actually has been mentioning the Exalted One for months on end, so they've done a much better job. But but in my memory with the higher power, it was like, oh, wow, they've been like teasing the higher powers coming since like February or March, and that was definitely not the case at all, so... I'm pretty thumbs in the middle on yeah. this one. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's basically just on the strength of, like you said, you know, the higher power angle taking up the first, literally the first third of the entire show. And then you get the, the rather the um, the Undertaker Big Show moment where he goes through the ring. Right. That's pretty much, exactly. those are the things we remember. But yeah. yeah and you, not, and you, the rest of them is not strong. Right. And, and nostalgically, you remember the episode well, because that's the beginning and the end. So you go, oh, the beginning was great, and the end was great, so it must be a great episode. But in the middle, you've got a bikini contest, and you've got uh, two matches that don't go anywhere and, and nonsensically, and a hardcore match that just is just crazy. So, Yeah, it's like a shit sandwich, but the shit's in the middle, as opposed <laughs> to the—yeah, well, I guess that would make sense. The shit would that be, would be in the middle. That would yeah. be a shit sandwich, yeah. That would be a shit sandwich. But the bread was amazing. The bread like, was amazing. So it's a double down, that's what you're saying. Yes, there you go. That's exactly <laughs> it. Or it's that new KFC sandwich where, like, the donuts, the donuts. are on the outside. Yeah. Oy. 
But uh, okay, but as we mentioned earlier, Adam, you had your own sort of uh, not proposal, but you had your own thoughts on who you thought the higher power was going to be. So I will I will give you the floor for that one as well. Correct. And, and as as we discussed, I think before we started recording, back in uh, back in 1999, back in the late 90s, I was a fucking mark. Did not watch WCW at all, so I had no idea who was even there in terms of who you know this couldn't have been because it was uh, because of contracts and whatnot. Um, and I had read a thing online because I was dumb on uh, on the internet and going on to all the stupid uh, scoops, scoops, scoops websites and oh, there's, we somebody saw this guy talking to this guy and calling <laughs> I calling these. Uh, 800 like numbers that these 800 hotlines that were set up by fans but were still supposedly dealing out wrestling news and whatnot you, and you were actively reading sushi x <laughs> i don't know what that is oh okay uh, he was he was uh, one of those guys back in the early days of the internet anyway sorry. but uh, in my head it made sense because of the whole this is someone from your past this is so, like kind of like you talked about with jake roberts you know how that would have made sense because that was the start of you know austin 316 and everything in my head, it made uh, it, it's actually kind of a combination of uh, uh, of the logic behind it being Jake Roberts and the logic behind it being Brother Love. In my head, it made sense to me that it was going to be uh, Ted DiBiase. There you go. There you, so, like I said, I, I was going back and reading those message boards, and that was a name that was mentioned. Yeah. Ted DiBiase. Some Makes somebody sense. from his past. He was the he's the, you know he brought Austin in as the ringmaster. He he you know brought Undertaker in at uh, Survivor Series '90. So. Oh, that's a really good call. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, he has the connection with both Austin and The Undertaker. That's right. Yeah. So that was that's back in the day that's who I thought it was. That's a good poll. I thought you were saying purely because he brought Undertaker in, but yeah, he did he brought Austin in too. Wow. Good good fucking call. So it made sense on more layers than I had even considered. So I'll give you would you like to hear who I think and again, I wasn't thinking this at the time. I've just kind of thought this in retrospect, who I think the higher power should have been? Stephanie McMahon. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. I because in my opinion, all this. Oh, not wait, in my you're, opinion, you're serious? No, okay. I am serious. I okay. am serious because basically, all this shit. If you look at all the stuff that went down, Vince loses power when Stephanie comes in because Stephanie's kind of like, I just want to be with my dad. He basically Vince leaves the corporation to protect Stephanie, and all this stuff happens. Really, all this stuff could have happened to Stephanie with her kind of masterminding it because. The first time she gets kidnapped by the ministry, we never see her get kidnapped. Ken Shermock just kind of saves her. She's by herself. The one thing that probably doesn't make sense is, is the where to Stephanie moment, because obviously there'd be no need for Undertaker to do that if Stephanie was in on yeah, it the whole time. Here's the thing. If, if that's the only one, as opposed to with it being Vince, Vince getting the shit kicked out of him repeatedly, 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 if the only nonsensical thing is where to Stephanie, you can write that off as, oh, they're just trying to play the character so that uh, nobody catches on. Exactly. Because I could even go with it being with Undertaker trying to marry Stephanie and her being like, you know, I did this to mess with you, Dad, or something. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make much sense. But even like the pic the pictures that where it gets revealed that Stephanie is, you know, in her underwear and all that, that could just be Stephanie being like, yeah, I posed for those pictures or something. You know, like, I'm, I'm all grown up, Dad. And the reason I say it that way is because that's exactly what she fucking does. Spoiler alert. <laughs> not not too long ago from now. Now, obviously, I can understand the reason I'm for them not... Up. <laughs> exactly. But I can understand the reason for them in 1999 not doing the angle with Stephanie because we didn't know that she could be that sort of bitchy character. Obviously, you know, in retrospect, we now know she can pull that off. So I, I don't blame them for not going that route. But in retrospect, I'm kind of like, you could pretty much play all of these exact same beats with like Vince and Stephanie in the studio and Midian shows up and Vince has to chase him out into the, into the studio or into the parking lot. That totally makes sense. 
And the fact that Stephanie is basically on screen every week being like, I only feel safe with my dad. It's like that kind of makes sense where you where you would have them together and, you know, they would be trying to, you know, she's kind of like manipulating Vince because, again, he leaves the corporation and he takes a bunch of ass kickings from the ministry basically because of Stephanie. So I feel like you could pretty much hit almost all the same beats with Stephanie as the higher power. So, again, I totally understand why they didn't go that route, but I think it would have been the most logical of what they showed on television. I think it would have been the most logical choice of what they gave us, especially if you're ruling out guys like Ted DiBiase or Jake Roberts, who we never saw on TV up to that point. So, again, I don't know if anybody's actually proposed this. I didn't do any sort of, like, research to see if, you know, in the interim years, if anybody has actually pitched Stephanie as the higher power, but... I think it could have made sense. So that's just that's just my two cents. By all means, tweet at me, email me if you think I'm wrong. I'm totally fine with being wrong, but I think it could have worked. So well, I think you sold me just, on it. So okay, all right, there we go. So finally, before we wrap up, I'm just going to get to a couple quick notes from this week's edition of the Wrestling Observer, and you might like some of these. I feel like you might you might particularly find the end part interesting. Uh, this week, negotiations between the WWF and Shane Douglas fell apart. Again, another guy rumored to be the higher power. They actually made Shane Douglas an offer, but they wanted him to take a complete physical and a drug test, to which Shane Douglas's agent countered by coming back with a demand for $350,000 a year. So the WWF then just proceeded to pull their offer entirely. So alas, we will not be getting the return of Dean Douglas <laughs> in the Attitude Era. What a tragedy. And here's something you can look forward to on Nitromania. This week, WCW announced the signing of rapper Master P. <laughs> Apparently, many people in WCW were telling Eric Bischoff he needed to lock Master P into a contract before the WWF could do it. So, great advice there. Yeah. WCW is actually slated to do two episodes of Nitro in huge venues over the next few weeks. The Superdome in New Orleans and the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. And Master P is already bragging about how those shows will sell out if he's on them. Spoiler alert. Not quite. And Master P is also angling for WCW to sign his bodyguard to a contract, and that bodyguard intends to use the ring name Swole, and to this day, he's still wrestling in AEW. No, sorry, my mistake. That, that's <laughs> that, that's a big Swole. My mistake. Sorry about that. And this week, WCW also announced the signing of Dennis Rodman. Now, as a reminder, when Rodman was in WCW last summer, he no-showed an episode of Nitro and then showed up drunk for his match at Bash at the Beach, a match during which he briefly fell asleep. So clearly, this is the guy you want to bring back for big money. Good business decision there. And uh, Adam, remember how I mentioned that WCW is doing an episode of Nitro at the Georgia Dome in a few weeks? Well, Rodman gets booked for that episode, and can you guess what happens? He has a five-star classic with Canyon. That is correct. Now, of, <laughs> of course, of course, he no-shows. Yeah. So, who could have seen that coming? Nobody. Yeah, but apparently not Bischoff, because he a, brought him back for big money. Not a damn soul. And this week, Tammy Sitch did an online auction where she sold her breast oh implants that she used. Yeah, this is this is a clear indicator of where her career is going. But she sold the breast implants that, that she, she used with the WW while she was in the WWF, I should say. And I'd just like you to take, to take a guess as to how much those implants sold for online <laughs> at auction. Uh, Jesus, fourteen dollars and ninety six cents. Very good. Now, uh, actually, twelve thousand dollars. Jesus Christ. I feel like the, the person who bought those has something very wrong with them. It's probably some old pervy guy, I'm guessing. 
In ECW news, the locker room morale has apparently improved quite a bit due to the recent news that the company will have its own show on TNN starting in the fall, and TNN is apparently already predicting that ECW will routinely be putting up ratings in the twos. Would you care to guess the highest rating ECW on TNN ever does? 0.8. A little higher, 1.31. So they never hit a two. And I do actually have one final note about the White Hummer angle from Nitro this week. WCW's website and Eric Bischoff on commentary both alluded to the identity of the driver, and they hinted that it could be Sable. Yes, that's right. They tried to generate more interest in the angle by saying that it could have been Sable who was behind the attempted murder of Kevin Nash. But wait, you say, but wait, you say, how could Sable be behind that when she's under contract with the WWF? Well, Funny you should ask, because that takes us to our final headline. The big story this week, as Eric Bischoff alluded to in his higher power comments I played for you a little while ago, is that Sable has quit the WWF and filed a $110 million sexual harassment lawsuit against the company. And there's obviously a ton of detail about this in The Observer, but I'll just give you some of the snippets. So Sable says she was made to participate in matches even though she wasn't a trained worker, and it caused a lot of resentment in the locker room when she didn't want to wrestle. The WWF repeatedly asked her to do a quote-unquote scripted mistake where her breasts would accidentally get exposed, but she turned them down multiple times on that idea. She was frequently told to comport herself in sexually provocative ways, which made her uncomfortable. She claimed that male wrestlers would also quote-unquote accidentally walk into the women's dressing room all the time, and they would even cut holes in the walls in order to watch them. Some wrestlers threatened to harm Sable physically, including one who threatened to bite her face so that her career would be ruined. And they don't actually name that wrestler in the article, but I'm pretty sure that's the reason why Luna Vachon was fired in February of 99. So it was pretty sure it was Luna. And the final lovely parting note is that on her last day in the company at the No Mercy pay-per-view in England, someone smeared shit all over her bags. Cough, X-Pac, cough. So... (laughs) So there you have it. Sable is gone from the WWF, never to return again or something. And in case you're wondering how the lawsuit turns out, she actually settles with the WWF for an undisclosed amount of money just about six weeks from now. So the details of how much she received were never made public, but presumably it was a good chunk of change. So, Adam, I ask you, what are your favorite memories of Sable in the Attitude Era? Long uh, list, I know. Uh, um, probably the handprint bikini, and that's it. That's yeah. That's that's probably a pretty good uh, a good memory actually. You you didn't uh, particularly care for the grind. Cause the ladies wanna be me, <laughs> and the guys come to see me. And Brock Lesnar couldn't resist. <laughs> and Brock Lesnar comes to cream me. What? Yeah. Oh boy. Hey, it's, I I gotta say the fact that she kind of like gave up on on her on her career, you know, just. She kind of gave up on the acting thing. She gave on the up on the WWF thing, and now she just lives in the middle of Saskatchewan with right. Brock. Yeah, it's it's not the life I would have pictured for her back in '99 when she was trying to be an actress. So yeah. kudos to Sable. She's apparently happy living the farm life, literally in Saskatchewan in the middle of nowhere. So good for her. Good for her. Thank, thank God, keep her there. But so on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. So as always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am. Henry Hugebecks, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us 
at Rottitude Pod, I should say, to <laughs> let me know. Yeah, Rottitude. Tweet actually, please do tweet me at Raw Attitude Pod to let me know if I was an idiot for that Stephanie suggestion, or if you would have gone with it. Let me know, and more importantly, write us a five star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. Of course, if you do that, I'll read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. Or if you're more of a fan of that whole brevity thing, just rate us five stars on iTunes without writing a review because that's helpful too. And Adam, before we finish up, would you care to remind the Raw Attitude Podcast fans about Nitromania, the AEW Rundown, and Spot of NXT? Of course, visit rundownwrestling.com for all the information on the Rundown Wrestling Network. Uh, We have shows almost every day of the week between myself and Troy and Jason and Sal and Jeff and Ginger. We're all covering all the brands over there. we got the WWE rundown, the AEW rundown, the NXT rundown, uh, Spot of NXT, Hurry Up and Cruiserweight, Power Bottom, uh, all kinds of stuff over there. <laughs> WrestleMania Salvation just recently wrapped up its run. The next episode of coming, of course, coming one uh, whenever the fuck WrestleMania happens this year. Um, Nitromania is ongoing. Survivor, sorry, Salvivor Series is uh, another thing. So rundownwrestling.com for all the information there. Uh, as, uh, as you said, I host Nitromania, uh, the AEW Rundown, and Spot of NXT. Uh, if you just want to listen to those shows to hear my mellifluous voice, uh, you would not be mistaken in doing so. Uh, but yeah, rundownwrestling.com, uh, at Rundown Network on Twitter, at Nitromania Pod for me. And uh, yeah, that's that's me. Fantastic. I'm actually glad you mentioned Sal Viver Series too, because Sal was literally texting us earlier today yeah. about how he was watching he was watching Survivor Series nineteen ninety and I was like, Oh, that's fitting because we were talking about, you know, Ted DiBiase bringing the Undertaker into the company and I was like, Well, there you go. That was the pay per view where he brought the Undertaker into the company. So there you go. Sal Sal was with us in spirit, I should yeah. say. But so anyway, because I have nothing further to add about this episode, as is the custom whenever a guest host joins the Raw Attitude podcast, Adam, I will allow you to pick the clip, which I will play at the end of the show here. So do you have one in mind? See, I knew this was coming and I meant to write something down and I still didn't because I am terrible at preparing for this show. I mean, there's always there's the one classic that I request every time I'm on this show, which is, of course, (laughs) Bob Holly and uh, Mick and uh, Michael Cole. (laughs) <laughs> uh, saying I'm going to break your ass in half, you little shithead. But nice. I think, I think in honor of, uh, in honor of the uh, the union, you can uh, you can play uh, Mick Foley coming up with their name. Fantastic, fantastic, a classic acronym. I will play that at the end of the show here. And Adam, as always, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely, thank you for having me. As always, uh, as I said uh, to start the show, I will. Uh, anybody comes from my record, I will break their ass in half, them little shitheads. That's right. I think you have a pretty sizable lead on uh, <laughs> on Sal. I think Sal is the second place person. He's brought on like three or four times. Or maybe William Rankin. William Rankin's been on uh, three times. And you know what? Uh, actually, I forgot to mention this. Uh, I will be doing a little something with William Rankin on the New Blood Rising podcast. I think it's okay to reveal that because this episode's not going up for a few weeks. And I think my episode with William Rankin will be up by now. Nice. But uh, be on the lookout for that. I'll go ahead and spoil it. We're going to do a perfect 10. Uh, it's my, He actually let me pick the match. My perfect 10 match that I picked is Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25. There you go. Which is literally my favorite match of all time. There you go. Sure. And I am going to we're, – we're recording that tomorrow, actually. So I don't know when it's going to go up, but I am uh, very excited to talk about that match for a variety of reasons. 
And uh, be on the lookout for that. Check out the New Blood Rising pod. Even if I'm not on it, check it out anyway, because uh, William Rankin is awesome. I haven't gotten the pleasure of being on with uh, Charlie or Jason. Oh, Martin. Martin, of course, has been on the show a bunch of times as well. So I think think your lead over Martin is still safe. I think he's only been on three times. But those uh, I love the New Blood Rising pod. love William and and Martin. Uh, Again, I love Jason and Charlie, too. I just haven't actually, you know, podcasted with them, but they're they're all great guys. Yeah, I will. uh, I'll second that. Give them a. Give them a subscribe as well. Um, and don't forget if this, uh, if that announcement hasn't been made by the time this episode comes up, don't come, don't forget to go back and edit that out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's, uh, that's the pod. Adam, thank you very much for joining. I will play your clip at the end there because that's a classic that we can all enjoy. And I will catch you next time, uh, when, uh, Stone Cold goes to the boardroom. So good times for all involved there. And, uh, make sure you're coughing, uh, into your sleeve and not into your hand. <laughs> yeah. Bye, everybody. Social distancing. That's exactly. That's what we're doing right now. We're social distancing. I feel like the podcast output should go way up when everybody is quarantined, right? There should be. You would think. There should be podcasts going up every goddamn hour. But uh, (laughs) it won't be mine, though, because it takes me way too long to get these episodes out. But anyway, cough into your sleeve, and I will catch you next time for the Raw Attitude Podcast where Stone Cold takes over the boardroom. Bye. So what we've done, test Shamrock, the big show, and myself, is we've uh, kind of banded together to form a union. Union? Now, we do not have fancy initials. We not, are not pissed with the Federation of Interstate Truckers. We are not SAG or the Screen Actors Guild. We are simply a union of people you want to respect, son. Wait, wait, wait. Union people you want to respect. Well, I guess we do have initials. Just call us up yours, Shane. If he did it 24-7, I'm going to do it 48-14. And how about I start with you? No, that's quite all right. How about I could start with you right here and right now? No, it doesn't matter to me, Michael Cole, because I will break your ass in half, you little shithead. Well, I apologize, ladies and gentlemen, for that remark. That was a very classless remark by Bob Holly.